Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Memory Machine Podcast, a, a historical, anecdotal, pop cultural thing. It's a part of the Geekiverse yeah. Media Network, a spoke on the many bespoked wheel. Certainly is. Uh, I'm your host, Nathaniel Lockhart, and I have but one guest with me here today, the venerable, the uh, inimitable... Uh, Trey Whittish. Yes. yes. That's me. Yeah, that's right. I was flustered by your compliment. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, so it seems like a sparse guest list here today, but believe me, between the two of us, there's there aren't really going to be there, there wouldn't be have have been room for a third guest. No. Uh, the today, third guest would merely be sitting in this room while we talk. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, today we're going to talk about the one and only Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. And uh his his oeuvre. But before we do that, uh we did a little searching. I haven't done this I haven't done the weekend geek for a little bit. Uh I think it just slipped either slipped my mind or I didn't care. I don't know. But I didn't do it. This week though represents a change, folks. Not only yes. do we have one thing, but we have two because I'm trying to two make up for the for the lack, for the lack of <laughs> uh, for lack of week and geek stuff prior, so Trey and I both are fond of the month of October. Yes, there are lots of the things we month. love that came out in this month. So, <laughs> yeah. please endure us. Right, <laughs> talking about uh, well, first of all, I guess we should bring up what turned what what film turned fifty this month. Oh yes, and that is. Yes. The Night of the Living Dead. Yes, yeah. or as the the trailer puts it. You ever seen the, the original trailer for that movie? Probably. It, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. It's uh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great trailer. It is. Um, I guess, and it's, and it's I a great movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it really you, is a great. movie. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Night of the Living Dead? I mean, you guys all know what it means. Yeah, what what it's about. It's about yeah. zombies, zombies and they attack totally. a house in Pittsburgh. It's the blueprint for all zombie stuff to come. This mm-hmm. is where all the zombie rules were laid down. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's it, it really pushed the envelope on horror presentation. Yes, um, sort of that quote documentary style mm-hmm. um, that kind of became a little bit more popular. Sort of a, a a more starkly realistic tone, yeah. Like especially in terms of like the radio broadcasts and the and the, the TV broadcasts you see in, throughout the movie, yeah, telling you what's happening or whatever. Right. Yeah, it wasn't this you know old gothic German village. No, <laughs> you know, that, and even then, that you'd like, see in a lot of them at that point. And even if they weren't those, you know, if they were you know murder film like murder yeah. thrillers, they're very they were very clearly. Hollywood productions, yes, very obviously Hollywood, right? Um, and this is straight no. out of the heartland. No, yeah, in horror in modern yeah. times out of the heartland. It's what? not a maniac with a knife running through L.A. No, it's uh, undead people running through the Pennsylvania area. Yeah, where, where was it? Where was it filmed? Something like Butler, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like in the. I think it's yeah because I it's, like, it's Romero is from Pittsburgh. Or yeah, yeah, like it's, it's, it's outskirts of Pittsburgh. I know yeah. that much. Yeah. Um, now Romero recently passed away. The, the director yes. of this film. R.I.P. Um, we're losing more and more of them. The, the the very first zombie in the film I know recently passed away as well. Yes. Sad. But, Sad. Uh, but 
very influential mm-hmm. on anything. Uh, mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you're all fans of The Walking Dead, yeah, then it, you have that to thank. It also, def- yeah. I mean, when you say it, sort of invented the blueprint of the zombie film, but also kind of gave us our modern definition of zombies. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the rules are established mm-hmm. through that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, some people break them, but sure. But because it's not real, th- so, no. So break yeah. it. But yeah. there's a Do very you like you know. Yeah. There's it's it's very simple. Yeah. They like flesh. Mm-hmm. They're undead, so they can't move fast. Mm-hmm. But you also can't kill them unless you beat the crap out of their brain mm-hmm. or shoot them in the right. brain. Right. Yeah. So taking out their central you know, nervous system. You know they lo- they they invite false confidence. Well, yes. I can keep these guys at bay. I can get away from them. Right. Well, not when there's a ton of them overwhelming you. Right, right, right. Um, some of the most, I was talking with Nate earlier, some of the most fun I've had is at this uh, local theater around here, the Ghostlight Theater, um, Starry Night Theater Incorporated. We used to do, for a weekend in October, a stage adaptation of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, I got to play Johnny, and I've got to play Tom. Um mm. Very different roles, both yeah. very fun. Yeah, but it's a fun show to do and be a part of. Yeah, you're saying that like zombies would like go throughout the theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. the zombies walk around uh, yeah. throughout the theater. That's um, crazy. Yeah, there's it's a, a cool... local, der, a local actor around here, Paul McGinnis, who, uh, if you're from the Buffalo area and have seen either the film Killer Rack. Or the musical adaptation of the film Killer Rack. You have Paul to thank for it. He's a, it was really great. And he directed he directed it and played the infamous first zombie that kills Johnny. Oh, it was a great well. movie. Oh, well, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So well. it was a great fun time. <laughs> Never heard uh, of it, but I feel like we're going to have to look it up. Yes. Oh, one more thing I wanted to add to that uh, real quick. You're just talking about the, the, the rules of the zombies. Uh, because before that, the zombies that we had were not of the flesh-eating variety generally. It was sort of like out of the Haitian voodoo tradition. Yes, yes. Zombie, where it's sort of like, I guess they're undead, or they could just be in, like, in a really steep hypnotic Trans. state. And you used them to kill people. Yeah, you. right. You used them to kill people. They were sort of just like mindless slaves. Yes, that they you, didn't that, have their that own... That a master controlled. Right. They didn't have their own agenda. No, I suppose no. real zombies don't have their own agenda either. They're just yeah. hungry. Yeah. But I guess that's an agenda. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Subsist. Yes. That's that's the zombie's yeah. agenda. Um, but anyway, with that having been said, there's another thing There's another thing I wanted to bring up for the Week in Geek 2 when, when uh, Trey mentioned it to me in terms of looking at film history on the date of October 10th in particular since that's when this uh, should be launching. A, a dear patron saint of the ba- of bad movies, <laughs> uh, the saint of bad movies. Uh, uh, Trey is doing a sign of the cross right now. It is Saint Edward D. Wood Jr.'s birthday, <laughs> October tenth. I love Ed Wood and his films. I also love the film Ed Wood. Uh, I think it's Tim Burton's best, <laughs> but I. There's just something so sincere and compellingly awful about his films. Plan 9 from Outer Space is works as a comedy. It really does. Have you ever seen Plan 9 from Outer Space, uh, Trey? Probably a long time ago. Okay, yeah. What Plan I, 9 is great. What I want to 
see now is yeah. is now become an October d- tradition out in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Is that uh, Dana Gould runs a live table read of Plan Nine from Outer Space? That sounds about at, right. Like, uh, for Dana at Gould. Largo in Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah. and it's like a, it's an October tradition now. So one of these days, yeah. I want to go be in in Los Angeles in October and go see Dana Gould run the table yeah. read. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're going to watch any movies of his, it's, it's got to be Glenn or Glenda, Bride of the Monster, and Plan 9 from Outer Space. Those are just, yeah. those are bad movie classics, loaded with great lines. Um, Bride of the Monster has, he's as harmless as kitchen, which isn't, <laughs> which is supposed to be, he's as harmless as a kitten, but Bela Lugosi said it weird, and Ed Wood didn't do second takes, so that's the line you got. He's as harmless as kitchen. Uh. Um, mm-hmm. and in plan nine, you know, you have your, your stupid minds, stupid, <laughs> stupid. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's great. But, but at the same time, they're, they're very sincere, yeah. very passionately made films. And, and you can tell that immediately watching them. It's so clear that, that it was made with someone's whole heart. Um, maybe not the actors, but, but the director certainly was. Yep. Um, that should be all that matters. Yeah, right. yeah. On, honestly, I have seen Plan 9 from Outer Space more times than Casablanca or Citizen Kane put together, and I'm okay with that fact. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm okay with that. I mean, they're all good movies. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, you know, and yeah, Casablanca <laughs> and Citizen Kane are better films, but what? there's just something something very compelling to me about Ed, Ed Wood's work yeah. um, in, in a real way, not just in a ha-ha, look at the bad movie way. Um, also, the movie Ed Wood is great. Uh, Tim Burton, have you seen Ed Wood? No, I, don't, I have not seen that. I mean, I'm it's familiar good. with you know everybody who's in it. Like yeah. George the Animal Steel is in it. Oh, Martin yeah. Landau played Bela Lugosi? Yes, he does. Yeah. Karloff doesn't deserve to smell my sh- <laughs> Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else? Oh, Sarah Jessica Parker's in that movie. Pre Sex in the City, who played Vampira in that movie? Oh, who did? I don't remember her name. Eh, one of these days. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was gonna say <laughs> Myla Nermi, but that was the real vampire. That's the real vampire. Yeah, that's the real yeah. vampire. <laughs> who going back to Dana Gould? Yep. Very uh, good. Very friends. close friends. Yes. with Vampire. I know. It's like if you ever heard yeah. him like tell like the story of his relationship, like with yeah. her, it is like just <laughs> it's surprisingly like sincere and sweet yes like D- dana gould knows how to spin a yarn yeah yeah and you hear him talk about it and you just it you go oh yeah right which which although he's hilarious you don't do much when you hear dana gould no talk, no no but you go oh you're mostly just like hearing him like like wax poetic about planet of the apes yes <laughs> or something like that and he's great at doing it yes and i love i love when he does a stand-up and one of his jokes involves a Vincent Price impersonation. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's very good at that. Yeah, listen um, to his podcast. Oh, it's great. The Dana yes. Gould Hour. Yep, it's increasingly not an hour. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's uh, our plug for this yes, thing. Yes. Yes. Go listen to somebody else's podcast. Yeah. Right. Go listen to Dana Gould Hour. With, with the weekend geek, uh, with us uh, having sort of broken the ice with this nerdy Octoberness. Yes. Let's get into the meatiest meat of October. <laughs> yes. Hitchcock and his films. All right. Uh, You know, I have to admit, I got the outline was put together a little slap, slap dash. Uh, It was hard for me to even fit in my watching this week. 
Right. So I'm going to insert a little something here, and hopefully you can follow with me along. And of course, uh, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, it's what the edit button's for. <laughs> um, but what is your relationship to Hitchcock movies? Um, I just... I mean, I think I had seen Psycho mm-hmm. when I was a kid, but I think I was a bit young. How, so old, how old were you? I was you probably like 10 or 11. That's, and so that's I about saw how old it as I like, was. Oh, that's a good horror movie. Yeah. But it was before um, any semblance of watching film and knowing anything about our tourism right, and, right. and what like makes good film good direction and why it's good. I liked it mm-hmm. because it was a good slasher movie. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know, you know, but it was before before you learn anything about film and know what's good. So I think other uh, liked Psycho, but then we started uh, it started with a film class senior year of high school and we watched Rear Window and North by Northwest. Nice. And actually nice. studied I mean which are on the face of it not knowing anything about film are great movies. Yes. But while watching that we talked about film, you know, we learned about the film technique and and you know uh direction and and auteurism and all that stuff mm-hmm. and so uh the appreciation for how he worked sort of became there and then mm-hmm. i became a fan of hitchcock oh i, yeah. I got to i got to see this i got to rent this i got to this yeah. you know f- take a film class in in college and you watch two or three of them and then senior year in college there was a class just on Hitchcock. There oh, was a my. film special topics elective. Oh, my. And so, yeah, I just spent a semester watching Hitchcock movies and loving the hell out of it. So. <laughs> Can't threaten me with a good time. No. Yeah. Exactly. It was great. Um, and so that that's my relationship is just through, you know, uh, getting a, a big uh, appreciation through it, through watching it academically mm. and then uh, adding another level to just enjoying them because they were good movies and mm-hmm. it's qu- quite honestly i don't really watch many movies other than hitchcock movies and old universal horror movies yeah. i don't make it to the theater much if i want to yeah. see a movie i go to my dvd shelf and i grab a hitchcock yeah. or a universal horror movie yeah or you know a noir movie I, 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 I think you and i are very similar in that our tastes are very specific yes um and certainly we, with and, movies mine are yeah. and, and and we've yeah, uh, yeah, with with movies, yeah. and we have uh, curate, curated our libraries very meticulously to match them. Yes. yes. Um, whereas, like with me, like you'll see, like a lot of silent film. Like I, I think I counted up to this point, I have forty silent films. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, which is more than everybody, I think. <laughs> a lot of people, anyways. Yeah. And and uh, monster movies, lots yeah. of monster movies. With me, it's yeah, it's Hitch- yeah. yeah, it's Hitchcock, Universal Horror, Film Noir. And, yeah. and wet hot American summer. And, yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. Yeah, and kind of similarly with me, except exchange the the genres and uh, super bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, but uh, I I think my experience is a little similar to yours in that I watched Psycho uh, when I was ten or eleven, I think yeah. ten or eleven, and it scared me. It, it's it scared me. SHIT list. <laughs> like I was so um I, I I couldn't go in the shower alone. I had oh. to leave like the door slightly open and know that someone was in the other room first. Okay. So like so like we the, the bathroom in Georgia where we used to live, it was connected to the living room. All right. So I would leave the door slightly jar and make sure someone was in the 
living room. Oh, so, okay. So they could warn me in case someone was coming, <laughs> or uh, you, you know, or, or my brother was so. I I feel like my brother was even more fascinated by it than I was. My brother, who is two years younger than me, so yeah. he saw it when he was eight. And, oh, wow. okay. and he was, I mean, he, he actually just made me sit in the bathroom while he, <laughs> while he took a shower or a bath and just, uh, like he uh, was, he was terrified, but I think he was more immediately taken uh-huh. by Hitchcock films than I was. Okay. It took me a little while to really kind of, uh, develop a, a real fandom for it. But my brother almost immediately was like, even though he was, he, he was scared witless by it. Yeah. He was like, I have to. I have to keep watching this movie. I have to watch it over and over again. I have to understand. Like I have to. Like, yeah. I, it something just it it just lit a spark in him in a in a way that not not a lot of movies did. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he watched Psycho a lot. Yeah. Um. Well, it's a I great mean, movie. it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I, but, just thinking about yeah. Psycho and all the other things. Um. It, mm-hmm. Like it. It probably informs stuff. I think that's why I like. Darker rooms, mm. dark rooms and desk lamps. Yeah, <laughs> like, desk lamps, desk lamps. Yeah, and like darker rooms and dark walls. Yeah, I, I think it like you're not into taxidermy though. No, yeah, <laughs> but I think they all like his movies informed the type of spaces I wanted to be in. Mm, mm-hmm. Like uh, where I spend most of my time at home is in our our little office. Yeah, because the walls are dark blue. Uh, and I don't have yes. to turn any of the lights on other than the desk lamps. And yeah. I can sit in a dimly lit desk lamp room and read that's, or work or it, watch a movie. That's kind of the way I, I like it, too. You'll notice that uh, f- people at home can't can't see. But, uh, you know, this is sort of the, the room I keep, which is sort of slightly bigger than an office. Yeah. Uh, but it is there's stuff all along the walls. Yeah. And I I hate overhead lights. Yeah, I bet Keep I bet that more. light never goes on, right? Oh, <laughs> as not not if I can help it. Not I if I too. can help it. I really hate them. Uh, yeah, they are so <laughs> ugly, and it makes my like I, I feel like my like eyes hurt as soon as I look at them. Like I hate it at work too. You have those ugly oh, yeah. ugly fluorescent lights. I would love it if we just had floor lamps everywhere. <laughs> That's what we have in our little. Oh. At our work, we our team yeah. has its own little office. Yeah, and the lights are off, and it's just floor lamps and desk lamps. <laughs> oh, I wish, I wish. I, I didn't really watch more of Hitchcock's work until college, I guess. Yeah. Um Although I did see The Birds a few times. Yeah. Uh I liked I liked that a lot. Um, that's a good. That's. It is a good movie. I I, I remember when um, it came out on DVD when The Birds came out on DVD, and I watched it in like much better clarity than I had ever seen it yeah. before and I was like well, the special effects look weird. <laughs> I like it better when it was like when it's a little va- murky. Yeah, when it was vaselined over by VHS. <laughs> um and that's the way I still like it. I have a very old copy of The Birds up there of uh, yeah. uh, VHS on the shelf because that's the way I prefer that movie. Have you ever seen Marnie? The other I have not. Head I have not seen Marnie. That one's good. It's funny. Yeah. I I I one of my it always sticks out in my head because Marnie is this sort of con artist uh-huh. and at the beginning she has just stolen a bunch of money from her boss her place yeah. of work and, there's a theme for you yeah, yeah and 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 he's talking to the cops and, he, and like it's obvious that this boss is infatuated with her because they're like didn't you describe her long auburn hair yeah. sparkling eyes pretty face good teeth and yeah. like accents <laughs> the good teeth and sean connery's <laughs> character starts laughing he's like well what's the damn funny but just the 
long yeah. eyes, pretty face, flowing hair, good teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I just always laugh at that line. I, I, it's I, always I, playing. I, in I my feel head. like that's been referenced, like the, the good teeth line. I, <laughs> yeah. I know I've heard that. I know I've heard that. Whether but, it's just been that scene being replayed or yeah, or someone referencing it. But Marnie's a good one with her. Oh, for sure. Okay, but yeah, I interrupted you. So back. Oh to no, um, but yeah, I remember watching the birds. <laughs> I watched Rear Window. Yes, with uh, my brother once I was home summer and and, and that movie is interesting because it's a little slow going at first. I feel like yeah, um, I feel like Hitchcock movies work work best in a theater or or if you're at home, shutting out every distraction, yeah, a possible distraction to let yourself just sit Stare in the movie. It. Yeah, um, but, uh, but boy, oh boy, the last yeah, like the last quarter of that movie is some of the most tense filmmaking oh yeah it's ever been i mean i just think and, and just the wonder of thought put into that like, yeah that is a courtyard they built inside a studio yeah and lit it with thousands of arc lights mm-hmm. for the sunlight it's mm-hmm. all like it basically put a couple city blocks inside a studio mm-hmm. and shot it so you and placed everything and shot it so you could see everything and everything was going I mean, mm-hmm. this is this isn't like a, a, a shooting out a window of a courtyard on an actual city street. They made the city happen in there. Like when you watch Ms. Lonely Hearts leave and go to the cafe yeah. across the street. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's all on one set. Right. I mean, yeah. it's just this massive set, this massive undertaking. Yeah, and you have too just the the great close ups of Jimmy Stewart just sort of leering and yeah, and, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, you got you got he got and, uh, and, great acting out of Jimmy yeah. Stewart there. It's like what and you know, it's just. You know, he's sitting there with broken legs. He's got literally nothing better to do yeah. than look and see what all his neighbors right. are doing. Pre-internet, mind you. Yeah. So uh, pre-internet, pre... I know. Well, really, did he even have a TV in the movie? I think no, I don't think didn't. there's a TV it's just radio. in there. Uh, and yeah, radio. that's what you had to do. And he sits there in a yeah. heat wave yeah. in full pajamas. Yes, right. <laughs> right? You got to please the Hayes Code there. Yes. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let lest you be tempted yeah. by uh, oh. sweet Jimmy Stewart yeah. gams. Okay, but yeah, <laughs> rear wi- rear window is is great. Yeah, but it, I mean it was like that, and then I saw Blackmail, and honestly, I haven't seen much else okay. of, of Hitchcock, right. but I know I love it. Yeah, um, okay. I I think I really want to do this. You said you know you brought up let's do Hitchcock. I was like, I do want to do this, but if I'm going to do this, I need to watch a lot more movies. So well, I did my best. You did. I did my so. best. I will say, though, that uh, putting yourself in a time crunch is not a good way to watch a Hitchcock movie. Um, <laughs> like, to, to say, like, okay, 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 this thing needs to be over, and, like, I have an hour for me to make it to bed on time, or or, 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 or to make sure, like, you know, I get Teddy home at a decent hour, or, yeah. you know, because um, in order to really enjoy it, you, you just got to... You just gotta sit with it and live in it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you have to really give it the attention it deserves. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think when you rewatch them, you if you're watching it for the first time, you gotta pay attention. Yeah, you gotta pay sharp like, attention. I, th- I think what I did for this is I rewatched a bunch of my favorites, so I I had them on yeah. like right in front of my face while I was doing a couple other things, some other work. So yeah. I still I and I still ended up. Yeah. Really, just watching the movies instead of getting anything else done. So yeah. it, it worked out. But yeah. yeah, you really do. You really yeah. do. Well, I thought we'd go from there into talking a little bit about uh, Hitchcock's career and his history. Just a little quick history thereof. Are you sure. familiar a lot with his uh, trajectory? A little bit. I mean, I you know what we mm-hmm. learned, what I've learned in in classes about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But well, yeah. then it means you know more than I do. <laughs> 
But um, probably I, the basics. Yeah. I tried to get... Uh, I read a little bit of um, an interview with him with um, Bogdanovich, Peter Dup Bogdanovich. Okay. Yeah. Listened to a little bit of an interview today. Um, peruse Wikipedia. Uh, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, but, it's... Uh, I mean, because this is honestly just going to be a, uh, a skimming of his yeah. career history. So. Yeah. Credit Wikipedia. We're going to get into the meat <laughs> yeah. after this. Right. So he began, uh, well, I, I guess originally he wanted to be an engineer when he was a little kid growing up. Mm-hmm. But when it, what ended up happening is that I think he, when, when going to school, he you know, started watching films that, yep. that they would bring in there and became fascinated by them. So eventually he got a, he, he got a job uh, as a title designer for Silence uh, in 1919 at Ilsington Studios. Yes, this um, if you've seen a lot of silent films, uh, you have the intertitles, you know, which will give you the, yeah. the dialogue, the necessary dialogue to tell you the story. They're often very, um, yes. yeah. Uh, but a lot of times these titles would come accompanied with illustrations. And this oh, is yeah. what uh, Hitchcock did very early on. But, but as uh, his biographer Donald Spoto states... Yes. British British productions tended to be a little bit more short-handed than American ones. Um, they didn't quite have the budgets. Right. Uh, they didn't quite have the uh, the culture or brain trust to build off of. Yeah. It wasn't so much an industry. Like yeah, it wasn't here. so much an industry. Yeah. So people tended to people who worked on films tended to wear more than one hat, and that was the case with Hitchcock, Hitch. and he would. Uh, do things like uh, art design and production design and uh, script doctoring and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he got his hands in every little aspect. And eventually, uh, through asking and asking, is something he wanted to do for, he wanted to direct for a while, ever since he started. And his first one was a drama called The Pleasure Garden in 1925. Oh, okay. I believe that that film does exist. Um, reviews were ho hum. I guess. I mean, uh, apparently he did a really, he, he did a very solid job, his first effort, put it that way. A competent fool. Uh, very, yes, very, yes. Uh, perfectly cromulent. <laughs> um, and that was followed up by a film called The Mountain Eagle, which is lost. Mm, and was majestic. set in uh, Kentucky. Oh. Uh, a British-made silent film by Alfred Hitchcock set in Kentucky. It is lost. We don't currently have a print of it. And Hitchcock apparently was very glad of it because he hated it. Man. Oh, really? So when, well. he lear- when he learned that it was lost, he was like, oh, good. No one will ever have to see it then. Do we even do people even know what it's about still? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah There's okay. like production stills and okay. marketing materials. What is it, it about? Still exists. Um, Did you look, uh, do you know or no? It's. I can look it up real quick. Uh, just, about an just, eagle just, living in a mountain? It Oh, it might just be. Um, the film, a romantic... Uh, this is straight from oh. Wikipedia's mouth. Oh, right. The, the, film, the film, a romantic melodrama set in Kentucky, is about a widower who jealously competes with his crippled son and a man he loathes over the affections of a school teacher. There you go. I don't... That sounds like Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. That sounds very Hitchcocky. <laughs> yes. But apparently uh, critics didn't like it, well. and Hitchcock himself was very embarrassed of it. Well, um, although, at this point, uh, it says here that the, the Cine Triol Film Commission has described it as the most wanted film in the world 
and the British Film Institute has the film on the top of their list of missing films and is oh, actively wow. searching for it. I mean, yeah. You can so, find a lost Hitchcock film. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, right. Who, who wouldn't want that? Even if it's not good, I know. You, you still want it. You know? I know. Um, and they have here a production still of a uh, dog that looks kind of like Rin Tin Tin. All right. So there you go. It actually reminds me a little bit of uh, listening to that. kind of reminds me of the plot to a movie that I saw at Capital Fest called The Storm with Lupe Velez. Uh, it was a very good movie about a right. uh, couple of good friends competing over each other for a uh, for the a lady affections for, of a lady for the affections of a lady of which they're all trapped in a cabin after an avalanche so very claustrophobic great movie oh, go just, see the storm it's well, awesome yeah great great movie right. the storm all right uh, anyways but that's not by hitchcock that's who did that william william Wyler. so anyway going back to uh <laughs> hitchcock and his film trajectory yes. so he did he did those two movies uh but the one he really nailed it with the one he broke through with was a thriller called the lodger a story of the london fog which very I nice. watched for this podcast, and ah. it is a very good silent film. Uh, okay. Hitch, it's a shame that he got his start so late in the silent era. I would have loved to have seen his other work. Ah. He clearly takes a lot of cues from German Expressionism. Okay. Um, in terms of, you know, obviously shadows. Yeah. Um, but there's also really cool things that he does. For instance, there's a scene where... Because the whole thing, the movie's about basically a Jack the Ripper type, yes. you know, and yeah, and then uh, this mysterious lodger comes in around the place of, of you know, to rent a room, right? Around the time, time around the place right. of these, these murders, and the landlord thinks he's and the landlord, the landlord, Jack. and yeah, thinks he's Jack the Ripper right. or the Avenger, as he is in the right, he's in the, the Avenger, film, the, yeah. I think in the book he's the Avenger too. Yeah, and he falls in, you know, he they he falls in love with the landlord's lady uh, uh, daughter. Yes, and uh, they start a relationship, and everyone's leery about him, and they don't know what to, what to think about him. But there, there's a point where the 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 landlord and his wife are very suspicious, and they don't really know what to think. You know, they're, they're start they're starting to get really suspicious, right. and they hear him pacing yeah. above. And what you see is the, you know, the 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 chandelier shakes a little bit. And then, you know, you see the ceiling and then you see him walking as if you're looking through the floor at his footsteps. Oh, he's so, his and is so good at stuff like that. It's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. And he does all these cool things with titles throughout the movie. Um, he, he uses like city lights, uh, like neon lights to counteract points. Oh, um, And okay. things like that. It's, uh, it's, it's so good. And, and he does such a good job of... Um, uh, the main thing you want to do in silent film is you want to use as few title cards as possible. Uh, title cards right. should only be used because there just isn't enough miming that you can do right. to express the thoughts necessary. Show, you, don't you tell. Have, right. And I was shocked at how much I understood of what was going on with no titles at all. I never even thinking I uh, thinking I had heard them speak because yeah. he had just done such a great job of uh, communicating conversation in, right. sil- in silence. It's, it's great. Uh, Hitchcock was a great silent film director, I, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. I'll have to watch it sometime. Where did you, do you have that in your public domain box, I, or did I you do, find that at the library? I, there's a great print of it on YouTube, Okay, um, which has uh, an, al- an alternative score. It's right. not uh, of the era necessarily, but it works. 
Okay. I like it. Um, it kind of has a bit of an indie rock vibe, oh. but it's intentional. Someone made this fairy and, you know, it wasn't someone just put pasted library music into it. it so was, somebody scored it. Somebody like really took the time to okay. score this thing. All right. All right. And it works. I, I was I was impressed by the score. Um, at first I was like, oh boy, do I want to try to find another copy with with not a modern interpretation of a score, because sometimes those do not work out right. very well. But this one did. I'm looking at you, Alloy Orchestra. I hate hate your music. I hate it. <laughs> um, but you're on notice. You're on notice. I don't like Never you. Never score a silent film again, uh, or you'll I, hear from I, Nate. Yeah, I'll tell you. They're silent. It sounds like a Rube Goldberg machine, like <laughs> scoring a silent film. I don't like it. Um, anyway. All right. <laughs> That's a hot take for three people. Yes. Um, speaking of the German Expressionism, he, he he was influenced by. Apparently, he did a lot of his early production design work uh, at Ufa Studios in in Germany, and was there when F. W. Murnau was working on The Last Laugh. So oh, he okay. got so he got some real firsthand experience from the master, and uh, really took a lot of cues from that, and he took the right cues. So That's good. Yeah, he Hitchcock had the honor of directing the first British sound film, Blackmail, yes. which I know you have seen. Yes, yeah. that is a great one. It yeah. is a very good movie. Yeah. Um, it's it doesn't really uh, it doesn't fall into a lot of the trappings of early sound films. No, you know it it doesn't. Um, the camera's very dynamic. Yep. Still, the first the first what five ten minutes of it where you see the the car yes. and the and the and the police yeah it it runs. Like a newsreel, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and that, that I think that's what that's the most striking part I remember, at least about the beginning. It's just, but it does everything, getting you up to speed mm-hmm. before you find out, mm-hmm. you know what, um, before you get into the meat of it. But that, that's, I mean, even the beginning of it, yeah. the first sound movie, but the beginning of it to frame it like that, yeah, is almost. It it transitions from silent into sound almost when you watch it. Yeah, that that's and then the cool back, thing. And then about back it. into silent. Yeah, it's kind of here and there where more action is needed. Yeah, but it works seamlessly. Yeah, uh, like the only reason you like. and I can tell is yeah. because we just notice these things. Right. But 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 yeah. it, it was it's like fitting because it was the first British sound film. Yeah. Is that it? It transitions. It's mm-hmm. almost as like the part of the big his goal for it was to. Announce the arrival of the talkies, in yeah. Britain. Because it goes, it goes from like it plays like a silent film, like until it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah. I I was shocked by the dynamic camera movements. Uh, yeah. The the fact that the uh, con- the dialogue scenes are not awkward. No. Um. Have you seen a lot of early early talkies? Have you seen I have not. No. Um. A lot of them aren't good. A lot <laughs> okay. of them aren't good. Lights of New York is the first all talking film. Because before that, what you would have is like part talking, so yeah. little scenes of talking and musical numbers here and there, right. uh, which were inserted into an otherwise silent movie. Okay, right. um, Lights of New York was the first talking right. throughout, okay. and it's the worst thing. It's the worst. <laughs> Take him for a ride. Oh. It's not good. Yeah, there's it's none of that good. in blackmail. No, it's no. Normal uh, conversation. Normal conversation. It's all very. The acting is very natural. Yes. Annie Andra is good, even though she's completely dubbed over. Yes. Uh, that's a fun fact. That. Uh, yeah. She, oh, was she Hungarian or something? I think so. Yeah. And you can tell she's dubbed over, but yeah, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm. You know, if you're a modern viewer watching this, you kind of forgive the film for it. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, it's early on in. Sound yeah, film, I think. So. I don't know if I. I think because the first time I watched it was for 
a film class. Mm. And so I think we knew, you know, when you're watching it for a class, the professor will give you a little background or something. Mm -hmm. So I think we knew about the dubbing, but it really didn't matter. No. Like watching it again and you noticed it more the first time through. It works. Like, the, oh, the, the, the final, the final. Oh yeah, she's dubbed. Doesn't it, matter. Yeah, the, the final chase through the museum. Yes, real good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. So he he clearly was very successful with sound film and continued yeah. to get work making them. Uh, all throughout the 30s in Britain, there were films like the original version of The Man Who Knew Too Much with Peter yes. Mori, uh, Sabotage, Thirty Nine Steps. Thirty Nine Steps is a great one. It's yeah. funny too. It's I, funny. I have it watch on DVD. It. I gotta watch it. Watch it. It's 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 a yeah. great movie. It's funny. Um. Yeah, I think you know what there. There was a in like 2007, the 39 Steps was a Broadway musical. Somebody, Uh-oh. you know, it, it. Oh, I think I it, was a, that. it was a yeah. comedy. Yeah. A, a, it, it's it's funny, but still like a it's a f- comedy, but also a spy thriller. Mm. But it lent it uh, it lent itself to a Broadway musical in 2007. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, but it's great. That one's good. Mm. That's uh, one of my favorite of his British ones that I've seen. The Thirty Nine Steps. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I have it. I really should. Yeah, should, should I, put I it recommend in. it. Um, but it must be said, you know, throughout this time that he didn't necessarily stick to just thrillers. No, he would sort of vacillate between thrillers and just more straight dramas, yeah. some noir-ish mysteries. Yeah. He always had um, some comedy. I mean, he had a, he had a good sense yes, of humor about and him. comedies. Um, in fact, some of his thrillers, I mean, I'll talk about this later when we talk about our favorite Hitchcock films, but The Lady Vanishes is filled with great comedy, <laughs> even with all the, you know, with yeah. the, you know, with the, the tense story pacing around it, yeah. Oh, yeah. it has great lines in it, very funny film. But eventually, you know, after success after success in Britain, he was hired by David O. Selznick, yeah. yes. a big time Hollywood hotshot yes. uh, in the classic age of Hollywood he hired him in 1939, and he released his first film uh, with David L. Selznick, Rebecca, in 1940. Yes. And Rebecca is one that I watched leading up to this podcast, and it's um, it's pretty good. It, it's yeah. it's, a, it's a good movie. It really I is. really movie. like the movie. Yeah, but it isn't very Hitchcocky. No, uh, Selznick's got his hands all over that. Yeah, it's more like a generic Hollywood production, right? Than a Hitchcock film, but it yeah. won the it did win the I looked it up it yeah. did win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Oh gee, so yeah, Hitchcock was allowed to be really? Hitchcock. Yeah. after that for the rest yeah. of his career, but and, it's he, and really well, good. and there is like the Hitchcock thing of like sort of a, a sordid murder. You yeah, know? oh yeah, um, with uh, I, yeah, I, I guess sordid is the way. But some of it Salacious. plays like yeah. the typical Hollywood style melodrama of the time uh, too. It's uh, a little more me- it's more melodramatic than you've seen yeah. any Hitchcock. And and I think like you know with, with with Rebecca, I I don't know if you got this watching Rebecca, but I felt there were some perhaps lesbian overtones in it. Did you gather that? Yeah. Like like with the the villain, the villainess, Mrs. Danvers. Mrs. Danvers and she's She's I I she's showing her her underwear. Oh yeah. And it's clear like there's a certain obsession that he, she has with Rebecca. But, I mean, you watch yeah. Rope and you watch Strangers on a Train. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of homosexual subtext yeah. either way yeah. in, in, in Hitchcock movies. He found that sort of thing fascinating. I think it's because it's something people had to hide. Right, so I yes. Think he, and yes. He, there was, a, there was, a, there was right. an immediate mystery and to people it. hide lots in yeah. his movies. So I think mm-hmm. he thought, he imbued his movies with an incense, like... Wh- in terms of what these guys are hiding for, 
this movie. Yeah. What might they have to hide in real life that's real? And I think yeah. I think that's how he got the actors to be maybe po- possibly how he got the actors to be frail and vulnerable as they were because yeah. I think he got actors who could relate to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like yeah, back to Mrs. She's yeah, yeah. it's it's a and decidedly a un-Hitchcock-y yeah. movie, but it's she's one of his best villains. Yeah. She is one of his best yeah. villains. Yeah, and she is great and demented. Like, oh, it yeah. Is, it's terrific. She's that stern look. Yeah, right. Just a couple a, scenes where you just uh-huh. see her staring. The way she just, for like apparently no real reason, just hates the heroine. Like, oh, yeah. She hates her. And and you see it like yeah like you say just the daggers through her oh, eyes yeah. are enough, um, the way that she slowly tortures her in, into like into right. like a um what was the word I'm looking for, uh, lack of confidence. Um, so she's just like she till she feels like a worm. You yep. know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, like this is supposed to be a super happy life. She just got married. Yeah. Like the to man a very of her rich dreams, man. Yeah. And it's just and she, miserable and, and for she's, her. Yeah. And she's working to make it so. So Hitchcock followed up Rebecca with a couple other films leading uh, up to World War yeah. II. Uh, there was one big film he did that sort of referenced Nazis without saying they were Nazis or something like that. Like uh, I, I read somewhere that, that he had sort of he, he felt anxious about not being in England at the start of the war. Yeah, he, yeah. he didn't like that. Was that, being, sab- was that saboteur? Cause saboteur. Saboteur. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, or suspicious. One of those suspicion, suspicion. Oh, could be maybe yeah. one of those. There's a lot though, because yeah, there's, there's notorious he made with so Cary Grant and <laughs> especially and Bergman, in the 30s and 40s, and that one's you know yeah. they're going back for an old Nazi spy and uh, yeah. notorious, which right. is another good one. Which if you watch, notorious if you ever watch, no, if you watch Notorious, you're gonna go, oh, that's that's where Mission Impossible Two, the movie, came from. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, Mission Impossible <laughs> Two is basically a rip of Notorious. Oh, yeah. Well, how about that? Yep. Notorious is better, I take it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've not heard many good things about Mission yeah. Impossible Two. I've often, I've never, I haven't seen any of those movies. But I've they seen, always tell me I've don't watch that one. It's it's the one I enjoy the least. Yeah. Watch mm. yeah. Watch Notorious instead. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Claude Rains is in that one. He's great. Uh, so he continued to, to make you know the uh, lots of hit movies throughout the 40s. So we were yes. talking about that. A Lifeboat was another one. Yep. And he continued to make comedies as well. Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, oh, yeah. was, was, was a comedy that, that he had made. Funny enough, Hitchcock was, off, was known for, whether this was anecdotal or not, he, he was known for having called his actors cattle. Um, <laughs> yes. Carol yeah. Lombard on the set of... Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith on on the day they wrapped, she brought three cows onto the set uh, <laughs> with the names of the the three leads <laughs> hung over the the cows. Um, yeah, yeah, apparently Carol Lombard loved uh, Hitchcock, but but yeah. just but just had a lot of fun. He treated people him. like I mean some yeah. some of his stars he treated like dirt, but and but a lot of his stars have nothing but nice things to say to him. Mm-hmm. I know Jimmy Stewart felt that way about him. Yeah. Grace Kelly felt felt really Liked good about him. him. Tippy Hedren did not. No, Tippy Hedren did not. <laughs> Janet Lee did not. No, um, definitely not. But maybe I think Tippy Hedren and Janet Lee were relatively new 
mm-hmm. to Hollywood. Like, yeah, Grace and, Kelly had been around for a long, been around yeah. for a few years before Hitchcock started starring in movies. Jimmy True. Stewart had been around for a mm-hmm. bit before Hitchcock started mm-hmm. having him star in movies. And well, Hitchcock also seemed a little bit more demeaning towards women later on in his career. Yeah. He he was said as have uh, there, there's a quote of his that I found where he said that. That uh, there were just no more beautiful women left in Hollywood. Yeah. Grace Kelly was the last one, and uh, that no one could yeah. match that anymore. Um, he might be a bit of a jerk. Yeah, yeah, probably was. But, but he made great. He made some great movies. Yeah, and plus, he's been dead for thirty, yeah. almost forty years. So, yeah. what are you going to do about it now? Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so by it seems by by the late 40s he was sticking mostly to thrillers i think i feel like he yes. had kind of been pegged by that point you had rope in 1948 yes and under capricorn in 49 which were both thriller yes. capital t thrillers yeah but there's still like if you watch rope yeah. there's there rope is i think a more thriller but there are you know there there are elements mm-hmm. of black comedy yeah. In a lot, in in a lot of them, like Strangers on a Train, there's a lot of elements of yeah. black comedy. Um, Rope, but, there's some Shadow of a Doubt, which is uh, he, which Hitchcock has said is his, was his like favorite movie to make, hmm. and that's um, where Joseph Cotton plays a serial killer. Hmm. Um, then of there's, course there's the Trouble with Harry, yes, which oh, everyone yes. remembers. Yes, <laughs> yes. But uh, but there's like in in, um, in in Shadow of a Doubt, there's like three or four different asides where Hume Cronin. Who's got a bit part, and oh, I'm gonna forget—I forget his name. The guy who played Clarence in *It's a Wonderful Life*. Oh yeah, but I he, know exactly who you're. But know. okay, so yeah, you, yeah, Hume, yeah. Hume Cronin and Clarence from *It's a Wonderful Life*. Clarence yeah. is a patriarch of this family, but they are both friends, and they both read lots of mystery stories. So there's like three or four asides of the these two characters talking about the best way to murder one another. <laughs> but they're played for humor. It's black. It's a yeah. black comedy. Like yep. even the thriller stuff, like. He 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 just found all this stuff funny, yeah. And and so the 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 macabre is imbued with a sense of humor, which mm-hmm. which is good. I think if you're gonna do stuff, oh, yeah. if you're gonna make something dark, you have to have a sense of humor about it. I um, I, I think if you see Hitchcock's trailers for his movies, yes. it comes through immediately. Yeah. Particularly his trailers for Psycho and The Birds are both yeah. very. Um, Oh yeah, you know he walks to he yeah. walks. In, he <laughs> one wa- for psychos, great. No, one for, it has like that jovial music playing in the back, yep. and then he walks up his, and I this is where the Hitchcock. the ghastly murder took place, and it was with the blood and oh, just dreadful. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> just like he's, yes. yeah, it's terrific. I'm not going to like this one. No. It cleaned this bathroom. You know, it was covered in blood, but it cleans up very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the fifties by by the fifties, it was just loaded with hits for him. Yes. Uh, Dial M for murder. Rear window. Strangers on a train. Man who knew too much. Uh, Vertigo, Vertigo. North it goes by on Northwest. And on. Yeah. It, it was just hit after hit for him. Yep. Even even like missteps like the Trouble with Harry could not stop him. No. He, the guy was on a roll. And if you watch Trouble with Harry, it's yeah. It's strange to see that as Hitchcock, but it's fine. It's a f- it's a fine little like comedy. Yeah, it's everything's brighter in that movie. That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's uh, but it's still I, funny. I, I, I still seen, enjoy I, it. I've I seen just... the trailer and it's like Hitchcock with like like uh, bright Technicolor yeah. colors. I'm like, this is weird. It's still. F- <laughs> I've watched it one or two times. I still enjoy it. Uh, he starts the '60s with Psycho. Yes, it's it's a masterpiece. Yes. we'll talk about it more later. I don't yes. feel like there's much else to say about it, other than. Uh, you know, it was a smash hit. 
and pushed a lot of boundaries at the time. Mm-hmm. From there, things began to slowly taper off bit by bit. Yes. You had the Birds which was, and Marnie, which were still hits. Right. Um, but they weren't lauded in quite the same no. way Psycho or his 50s work was. Yeah. And then from there, you had ones like uh, Topaz yeah. was one, fam- family, family Murder or something. Topaz, yeah. Yeah. Uh, torn Curtain. Torn Curtain. Yeah. Torn Curtain. That's, I don't know what um, I'm thinking. Oh, um, the family something. I yeah, I haven't seen a lot of the later stuff. Yeah, Frenzy is one. Frenzy. Uh, that's seventy-two. He did one more in seventy-six. That's the family right. one I'm thinking of. The family plot. Family plot. Yes, there it is. That's what it is. Family plot, and these were sort of middling, from from what I've heard. A lot of critics yeah. were sort of halfsies on it. You they know, were, he... they were mixed. Maybe, and maybe, he, the, he, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of them, but you hear about the quality declining. Yeah. His, but he didn't have the same stable of actors anymore. Like no. he, he didn't have Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant in them. No, but, um, but I, I've even heard people um, defend, like certain uh, directors, like uh, Joe Dante, director yeah. of Gremlins and right. stuff like that. He really defended Family Plot. He, he thought yeah. that was a really good movie that that was underrated um i don't know if that's true i haven't seen it so yeah. I, I, uh, I listeners just it, watch like, it and report back if you watch him in the in the 50s and the 40s and 50s um like his actors had great performances too mm-hmm. i mean he's a great director and great at setting a scene and great his sets are great and just a great you know putting his stamp you know yeah. a hitchcock movie when you see it mm-hmm but I mean, he also had great performances out of all of those actors. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's that's the other thing that's so striking. You, they're all, you know. I mean, some some of the I mean, the critics didn't like everything. I don't think the critics really liked Rope. I love Rope, mm-hmm. but they're all complete movies to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't yeah. see weak links in any of the actors. Yeah, they're all very good in each of their parts. So I don't know. I wonder if, if a quality is tied because they, if they felt less complete in the 60s. I just know that, yeah. like... I, I know Hitchcock struggled with the new school of yeah. method acting and Maybe, all that kind of and stuff. that could have been it. Another quote of his that I found that said that uh, they would ask, like, well, what's my relationship with the, with the other characters, Hitch? And they'd say, uh, well, it's in the script. Yeah. And they'd say, what's my, well, what's my motivation, Hitch? Come on, what's my motivation? Your salary, <laughs> like that. Well, that yeah, was his exactly. Response. I mean, I and yeah, that's yeah. it's it. He kept things as simple as that. Yeah. Yes. He. he, he yeah. That's a good way of putting it. He he kept his relationship with the camera and yeah. and and with the movie is very very cut and dry, very yeah. simple. This is what you're. We plotted does. out. Yeah. It's in the script. It's all. It's all there. We this already did all the hard work. Yeah. You just have to do it. Yeah. 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 You're all like some of the characters had backstories mm-hmm. and you knew a little bit but it's not the characters were not explaining the backstories no but they the backstories were all in the script it was all yeah. about like acting and reacting everything mm-hmm. is very much in the moment in his mm-hmm. movies they don't take place over long periods of time necessarily mm-hmm. rope takes supposed to take place over the course of a night yeah you know and it's 120 it's an hour and 20 minutes film that's supposed to take place from if you're judging by the sky in the background, mm-hmm. which is that's the great part of rope is the Manhattan skyline is part of a cyclorama. Oh, and so the sky and the clouds change. Cool, and you can just see it there. So it starts. It's late afternoon. It's four p.m. and it's mm-hmm. in the spring, so it's bright. And by the end of the movie, 
it's falling into dusk. But you see, you can you see the light and everything change out of the window. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took took place so maybe over the course of five hours between four and nine p.m. or something like that. Mm-hmm. They had a party, or like you know, strangers on a train. It's probably a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, rear window, a week or two, yeah. maybe. Tops. I mean, yeah. It, they're all his his movies are all moments in time. Mm-hmm. Nothing is epic about his movies. No. They're snippets Not, yes. of something terrible mm-hmm. that happens. Yes. I yes. mean that that that's what they are. Yes. I mean, so there's. There's not It's an event. Right, it's happened. an event. Yeah. His movies are events. And so yeah. there's no need for that method acting stuff. No. It's uh Because this isn't a saga. No, yeah, right. This it's is two guys l- strangling their classmate because right. they want to commit the perfect murder right. and then throwing a party with his body in the room because they want to see if anybody can catch on. It's yeah. like everybody's they're 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 playing games. Yeah, like, right. You know? Sort of a, a commentary on the tragedy of the idle rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that having been said, when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the themes and processes found in Hitchcock's work, as well as some of our favorites. Exactly. So uh, we are excited. Yes, we're very excited. This podcast will be too long. I'm sorry, but not sorry. Well, so you know, consider it a Halloween treat. Yeah, this is our favorite month. So we're giving you double the podcast time. That's right. If you like it, it's your treat. And if uh, you don't, it's your trick. Yeah, we tricked you. Tricked (laughs) you into listening to this much podcast. I I dare you to leave this at one time speed. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. All right. We'll we'll see you in a little bit after the break. All right. I want you to see Psycho the way I originally made it, with every scene intact, the version TV did not dare show. The murderer, you see, crept in here, very slowly across the showers on, there was no sound, and... uh, See it uncut, intact. No one will be admitted to see it except from the very beginning. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Rated M. Suggested for mature audiences. Parental discretion advised. Looking for a man? Has Nick at night got a class act for you? Good evening. I'm Alfred Hitchcock. He's dignified, well-dressed. He's got a job in show business and away with words. He's very intriguing. In fact, with Alfred, you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. So if you've been dying to snuggle up with someone, well, someone with a little mystery, Nick at Night has got your man. It's Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Hello. Every night on Nick at Night. Hey, what's up, geeks? This is Liggy Smalls, Dan Liggett, just reminding you to go on to the Patreon page, Geekyverse is on Patreon. We'd love to get your support. Every bit counts. So if you come in on patreon.com slash geekyverse, also give a subscribe to the YouTube page. Just look for Geekyverse on YouTube, and you'll be able to give us a like there. There's other podcasts. Uh, Memory Machine isn't the only one that you can listen to, because that's the one I'm primarily on. So love it, but listen to Girls Who Geek. 
Geeks Got Game, who just released their fall 2018 preview. There's a spoiler cast who just reviewed the new Mission Impossible movie. And then, of course, Walking Carpet, which is all things Star Wars. You can always check out the website to view the most upcoming articles, uh, content, uh, opinions, op-eds, anything that you want to listen to or read, it's going to be on there. And then, of course, we've got the Facebook page where we'll post the links that you'll be able to see. So please, we are here for you. We want you to be here for us. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Weeknights at 7.30, 4.30 You are very sleepy, but you will stay up to watch a brand new nightmare, which we call MeTV's Sunday Nightmares, featuring Ron Serling and the name of this place is the Night Gallery. Then more Serling with the rarely seen hour episodes of The Twilight Zone. What you're about to watch is a nightmare. Followed by Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Now, say your catchphrase. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Sunday night starting at 11, 10 central on MeTV. Everybody, welcome back. We uh, just had a good break and a good discussion about improv classics, modern yes. improv classics. Yes. In twenty uh, years, yes. stay tuned for the Memory Machine episode about comedy bang bang. Boy, I can't wait! I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, President Trump will be in his sixth term. Yep. Um, anyways, uh, so I, I thought it'd be a good time uh, before we get into our favorites. Talk a little bit about the themes and processes that we notice in Hitchcock yes. films. There is a, when I was doing the research, there is a very exhaustive Wikipedia article about themes in Hitchcock films, but I opted not to go that route. No. Because I just wanted to point out the themes that I noticed more immediately Mm -hmm. in my recent viewings. And I think you you and I probably have some of the, some of the same Mm -hmm. takeaways. Uh, Of course, first off is Blonde's. Yeah, it's yes, blonde. Uh, would oh, you like blonde. to elaborate well, <laughs> on his blonde obsession? He was obsessed with blondes. Grace Kelly, Tippi Hedren, Janet Lee. Yeah. He I, just I, loved I, I, them. I wonder if he made it, if it felt like it increased a level of vulnerability in them. Perhaps? Maybe, but, but, but Grace Kelly was never totally vulnerable. No. Like you watch no. her window. She's I, I, the one doing everything and right. saving the day. She's I, I, vulnerable. I, I, I don't, I don't believe her as vulnerable. Grace right. Kelly. No, no. And she doesn't play it there. Like rear yeah. window. She goes right into the murderer's apartment to find the wife's ready. finds it brazenly like showing it behind her back while she talks off the guy to get him, uh, to let her go. It could be, but then Tippi Hedren was a vulnerable blonde. Through most yeah, of over, it. yeah, I mean, she definitely exudes vulnerability. Right. Uh, so does Janet Lee for that matter. So does Janet Lee. But, like, Grace Kelly was always strong. And a lot yeah. of other movies, the women are strong. But he was obsessed with these blondes and pretty women. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of creepy. A little bit. He let them be empowered, though. Other than Tip, other than Tippy Hedren. Other than Tippy Hedren, who just I mean, got terrorized. Right. Yeah. If you watch, you know, um, Rope, mm. Joan, uh, the... Whatever her name is, Joan something with Joan a C. Joan Blondell, no, but it's not, not right. Crawford. Yeah, no, maybe Collins. Uh, I'll Collins sounds right. Maybe Joan Collins, but, but she's anyway. like the most self-assured 
one of the bunch in there, mm-hmm. or at least the most normalized, like self-actualized. Self-actualized. Yeah. There's no danger. Like I said, Grace yeah. Kelly always seems to be on top of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teresa Wright in Shadow of a Doubt is uh, very much. I mean, she's a little taken aback when she finds her her uncle's a serial killer, but she also very much immediately decides what needs to happen and that he needs to leave. So maybe some vulnerability with the blondes, but I never, in the in my favorite Hitchcock movies, mm-hmm. the women are never in very much danger. Mm-hmm. It's always the men. His men, I mean, we, we uh, maybe pivoting off of that, his men always seem woefully unprepared for whatever is going to befall them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not very strong. Even like a guy like Cary Grant mm-hmm. is pretty much knocked for a loop in North by Northwest. Farley Granger in, in Strangers on a Train is very like vulnerable. Uh, mm-hmm. or Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. Mm-hmm. He seems to like to take his men's spines away. Mm-hmm. Or or find ways to make him inactive. Like Jimmy yeah. Stewart, I don't think I wouldn't consider him a spineless character in Rear Window, but right. he basically has no legs. Right, he basically yeah. is vulnerable and mm-hmm. is unable and needs to be taken care of. And I think a lot of his leading men need to be taken care of or need to be helped. Mm-hmm. Like um, Strangers on a Train, Farley Granger is helped by his helped immensely by his fiance's little sister and his fiance. His fiance's little sister is played by Hitchcock's daughter, Pat. Mm. Patricia, yeah, I, I, ne- the ones at least the ones I like. There's not a whole ton of vulnerable. I don't see a whole ton mm-hmm. of vulnerability in the women. Well, well I think that's what but separates a lot of Hitchcock's thrillers from from what would otherwise yeah. be noirs if the male characters were stronger. Because yes. then you would they would just be the hero of a story. Right. They wouldn't necessarily be thrillers. Right. But you take away that vertebra, and yeah. you have no one's quite safe. Boy, yeah. You know. Blondes. blondes, boy, did he! He did. They I, were all good, and they're all beautiful. Women. Oh yeah, he very Absolutely. much was like Grace Kelly. Man, ne- yeah. never was there a more elegant lady. No, than, than I mean her. he very much. I guess yeah, he liked maybe he he liked to leer is the best way to say <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of creepy. Yeah, uh, we can sort of Tippy Hedren sure would co- corroborate that. Yeah, um, um, he, I have this this great quote about him from Blondes. Yes. I was telling you about this earlier, but. Right. He, before we hit record, but he says, Blondes make the best victims. They're like virgin snow that shows up the bloody footprints. So that, I guess, was his theory on I the guess. Blondes. Yeah. Uh, is that they showed blood best. <laughs> I don't know how true that is. I don't remember there being a lot of blood in Hitchcock movies. No. To be honest. But, you know. I mean, there are bloody things that happen off screen. Yes, yes and I think that's part of it. It's the, yeah. it's the always, there's the, always the perceived yes. blood. Yes. Yeah, and probably that stark difference of sort of in your the blood in your mind shows up more when you have more of a lighter figure in a blonde to, I to guess, highlight it. Yeah, I guess I don't yeah. know. Could be, who knows? Another one I noticed too, not in necessarily the ones that I watched, but kind of looking over his body of work was um, uh, climaxes set on famous landmarks. He oh, likes like to do that North by Northwest, North by Northwest, and, uh, blackmails uh, like that yes. with the British Museum. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, there was another one. A vertigo, you of. got Coit yeah. Tower uh-huh, and uh-huh. Um, San Juan Batista. Yeah, there, there's there's several of them oh, where he, uh, he likes to, to stage. The Redwoods are, you know, big, mm-hmm. featured prominently in Vertigo. Yeah. 
but but he definitely features those in, yes. in a lot of movies. Strangers on a Train, there's a, there's a great scene. It's not where the climax is, but a great scene yeah. with the Jefferson Memorial. Yeah. Because it takes, yeah. the majority of it takes place in Washington, D.C. Yeah. It sort of adds, I, I guess perhaps it adds a sense of, epicness and grandeur where where there isn't so much in the story like we were talking yeah. earlier about how the stories really are smaller than right. than we might per- otherwise perceive them to be yeah and these landmarks kind of give them a like i said a, a grandeur that right. that makes it bigger than than otherwise would is. be yeah another thing i noticed uh watching these were was uh the dry and dark humor that oh we yes. talked about earlier um, which which one were you talking about? You were talking about Strangers on a Train. Well, Strangers on a Train, on there's that. a lot of black comedy in there. Yeah. Um, but there's some other, like, funny lines. Like, I know he, like, there's one part where this the main character, uh, played by Farley Granger, Guy Haynes, is suspected of murder. Hmm. But he's on an actual train at the time, and a he has an alibi because he was sitting in a car with a professor, a drunken professor who was giving a lecture up, a new, up uh, at some college. And he's drunk and singing a song to himself. And um, he should be the alibi. So when, you know, he's being questioned by the, or talking to the cops first, and even his, his soon-to-be father-in-law, the prominent Senator Morton, is talking to him. And he says, no, there's a professor on the train. He can identify me there. And the, the, the Senator goes, Harvard? And, uh, <laughs> and Guy Haynes goes, no, Delaware Tech. And the professor just looks, the, uh, the Senator just looks so disappointed. Oh. <laughs> Well, that alibi is not going to ha- held up because he's from Delaware Tech. There's yeah. stuff like that or yeah. um, Shadow of a Doubt. There's just uh, like three or four aside scenes where the main character's father, who's we we didn't look, like I said before, like yeah. it, there's just joking about talking with his neighbor about the different ways they can uh, kill each other and get away with it. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, he liked to turn a lens on the nasty things we did and the nasty mm. things we thought but with a smirk with a smirk yeah. so you know he he yeah. sort of said like isn't it you know you go and watch this movie and isn't it isn't it nuts that there's a murder in their midst and all these guys can talk about is the sordid crime stories they yeah. made and whether or not they could poison each other or beat each other on the head with a blunt instrument mm. it's just in his that. um one of the films I watched leading up to this was The Lady Vanishes. Yes. And there is a lot of humor in that. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. There's a lot of humor. One instance in particular that I remember that that I took away with very clearly is uh, the final shootout on the train. Spoilers if you haven't seen the movie, which you should see. It's great. The final shootout on the train. And one of the, sort of one of the more bumbling characters kind of looks out and you know, to see what's going on and see if perhaps they won't stop shooting we could talk this over like gentlemen and he uh there's a gun he he looks out the train there's a gunshot and then he slowly walks back and he just he he talks says to the heroes like well you're right old mate and he holds up his bloody hand he's just like he just got shot he's like well you're right they shot me like he's and he's totally nonchalant about it it's it's great yeah and, and katie and i saw that we bust a gun it was it was so funny in fact, all throughout that movie, there's these two characters who are in it, and and they're very keen on cricket, and they really want to get back to see the the, the test match as it is, and they're talking about, well, I, we have all these goings on, but I really hope we can make it back in time for the test match, and, <laughs> and it's all they know, it's all they talk about, and, 
And uh, you can even tell as the conspiracy begins to unfold that they're sort of unwittingly involved in it. They kind of would rather not be a part of this. <laughs> They'd rather not be in this movie. But he just inserts things like this. They're, they're just these little uh, darkly comic moments. They're not even darkly comic moments, just very dry humor Yeah. Uh, in, in these movies. I, I feel like it's especially prominent in the British films. Perhaps okay. a little less so as you get onto the Hollywood yeah, stuff. Yeah, but there's still some stuff in there. Yeah, oh yeah, like, for sure. For like, sure. I chuckle at a lot of them. Yeah, but but I do like that a lot, that, that uh, dry sense of humor. Yeah, the um the newlyweds in Rear Window. Yes. Like the sort of uh-huh. the, the winking look every time he sees him over there. Yeah. The beginning. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's smoking by the window and whatever. Yeah. Harry! And he goes back. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, yeah. They just, got married, you know, and yeah. tired out already. Yeah, just just a little moment here mm-hmm. and there. Um, something interesting about, well, you know what, I'll save it for when we talk about Lady Vanishes, but All right. is there any other uh, themes that you notice? Well, like, that? like we were talking before, um, he sort of emasculates his men, mm-hmm. I think, in certain things. Um, yeah, we talked about that when talking about you know, blondes. I, I think blondes, he does that, and it, there's certain things you see more in films with like we mentioned before, the homosexual subtext mm-hmm. of yeah. of uh, rope, mm-hmm. um, the two, you know, it's like based on the Leopold and Loeb murder. So it's mm-hmm. never explicitly said, but sort of no. humming under the surface that these two main characters, Brandon and Philip, who killed their school chum, are homosexual. And then mm-hmm. their old housemaster, who's there. Jimmy Stewart might be homosexual. Mm-hmm. And then there's the same thing with Farley Granger and Robert Walker, Bruno and Guy in uh, Strangers on a Train. Mm-hmm. Not There's like the subtext that Guy, uh, Bruno might have, have a, a crush on mm-hmm. on uh, Guy Haynes. And, you know, Guy Haynes' sort of uneasiness about him might have something more to do with that. But it's all subtext under there. Yeah. And he did I, that with like, he had Farley Granger play the role and i think farley granger I, I don't think he made too much of a secret about it but farley granger was pretty well known as mm. a gay man in hollywood so okay. i think he put them in there put him in there cast him for these roles with that subtext because he knew he could handle it or play it and i mean he's he's great in in the two hitchcock films uh he's in it's strangers on a train and rope mm. but like it goes beyond even some of that like if you watch a Hitchcock movie where two men are fighting. It's not, you know, if you see a noir yeah. film and people are fighting, they're punching each other and it's having a knockdown drag out. When Hitch- two men are fighting in a Hitchcock film, they're pawing at each yeah. other. There's a grasping. lot of gra- grappling and grasping. Like yeah. they're both, both. I, I'd say the best way I would describe it is this is both characters are trying to grab the other's wrists so mm-hmm. that the other one can't punch. But neither yeah. of them have, already, have even any thought to punch. They just have the thought to grab or tie up. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Like, grabbing and pushing and pawing at one yeah. another. Um, but I think that's how he decided to sort of make his heroes inadequate until the very end when either they saved the day or didn't. I just remember, I think I remember, you know, seeing that more and maybe reading that into it because I think in terms of sometimes when Hitchcock is taught that is something that is pointed out is that he certainly emasculates some of his men like there's a very there's a scene i remember getting pointed out to in north by northwest with cary grant who's always mm. been this hollywood he-man yeah. and first choice to play james bond yeah yeah um uh, and there's a scene on a train where he and eva marie saint's character are are kissing 
And it is maybe the most awkward kiss and embrace you'll see on screen. It looks like <laughs> Cary Grant's character does not want to be there. It's the got this very attractive blonde and it's the last place like their arms are wrapped around each other but Cary Grant isn't sort of holding her as much as he's got his arms around her and then his wrists like bent inward into claws that are sort of just resting there around her Nate can mm, see what I'm doing yeah maybe yeah. we'll take a photo and yeah. share it but like he's 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 holding her like this and it's just he just liked making his men inadequate and ill-prepared for whatever's going to come at him. There's not mm. a... And, I mean, I I don't know, you know, what the aim is with that there, but his heroes weren't really heroes. These things no. happened to them, and if it happened, everything happened to come out okay, it just happened to come out okay. Nobody valiantly saves the day in a Hitchcock movie. Not really. I like mean, the, there's kind of something like that at the end of Psycho when they finally wrestle yeah. Norman to the ground. But even then, it's... But it's not val- necessarily valid. They're no. missing everything the whole time. Like, right. Like, and even then, like the, 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 the way the villain gets his comeuppance in Shadow of a Doubt is he... They, the villain literally stumbles into something, you know, yeah. or like Rear Window. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, I, I can't do anything else. Flashbulbs. Until he can barely throw me off, the, and he throws me off of the window anyway. Yeah. But just yeah. as the cops get here, I held him right. off, so at least he got caught, right? But yeah. like, it's not like it was all peachy. Right, you know? right, right. Um, it's just stuff like that. The, the, his villains stumble more often than they mm-hmm. are defeated, There's a, whether it's a, a way of hubris or by chance. Spoiler alert here. Strangers on a Train even, which is one of my favorites. The villain dies at the end. After the merry-go-round, super-speeded merry-go-round that he's fighting on with our hero crashes and collapses with everybody on it. Hmm. But he's the only one trapped in the rubble. And everybody else is fine. Yeah. Well, he's just happened to be the guy that, that died when this thing collapsed and blew apart. It could have happened to the hero, too, but he just didn't. He, yeah. he fell off of the merry-go-round the right way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just stuff like that that happens. It's, I think that's always a theme. It's more normal, like he, more normal. I don't think he believed in Superman. I think he mm. believed in chance and how things, that things just happen mm-hmm. to people and happen to his villains and happen to his heroes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a theme. It's not like, there's not a lot of valiance. No. It's, it, it literally is a snippet there, of life. No, there's not a lot of destiny. There's no, right. there's no, um, you know, you know this, there's none of that. This killer got stopped this time. Like yeah, it, it might not happen this way every time. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what you're seeing is the the thrilling, yeah, time that it did get the, stopped. Yeah. yeah, the thrilling time that it t- worked out okay. Yeah, because like, um, he did. He didn't really have bad endings. He had no, relatively happy endings. No, I mean, some they sometimes they were ominous, but they right. weren't bad because no. the bad guy was still defeated. Right. But you still didn't feel completely safe. No, <laughs> I didn't feel completely safe after right. Psycho. It, you still feel like there's still a looming threat. Yeah, just just like like you said, like it could happen again. It could, yeah, it could I happen. Don't know. Again. <laughs> yeah, this time um, we got this time we got lucky. Yeah, people are lucky yeah. in Hitchcock movies. Right. I don't, I'm not sure if this is. I guess this isn't a theme, but it's sort of his uh, method of production. I was reading in one of his interviews with Peter Bogdanovich. And he talks about this, how he sets up the frame of his scenes. 
and how he doesn't like he he doesn't like open air. Yeah. Everything is in there for a descript purpose. Yes. And very deliberately so, to the point where um a lot of his movies were storyboarded prior to shooting, yeah. which is unusual for live action films, especially back then. It's something more cartoonists do. Yes. Uh but but Hitchcock did and I, when you when you see his films, I, I rewatched the shower scene from Psycho uh, uh-huh. today, and just see like yeah, there's not a wasted ounce of space in any of these frames. No, they're all composited very perfectly to tell you something very specific in every corner, in every in every facet of the screen. Yeah, it's meant to tell you something about what's happening. Right. And his uh, wide open establishing shots are just, they track right into the action. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's just enough to let you know this is the setting. Okay, yeah. we're done. <laughs> Here we we're go. in New York. Yeah. Now here's a part. Here's this apartment where a murder's the, happening. Right. And yeah. this is where we're going to stay. Yes, yes. But we're in New York. This is Manhattan. Murder. Yeah, right, right. Done. <laughs> he generally shot his films in chronological order. Did you know this about him? Well, you must. Oh, have. from like beginning. Yeah, from scene. Yeah. yeah, like in his from, per his script. Yeah, which is definitely not how you do it usually. Yeah, that. But that's, he did. That's uh, usually you. You just do it in terms of efficiency. Just be like, okay, well, we have this guy on these days, so let's do yeah. his scenes, and then we'll do her scenes, and uh, the ones where we're together, we'll make sure we do in between those two timetables, and you know, you think about it just in a yeah. workman sense. This right. is how it has to get done. Hitchcock did not do it that way. Well, you he, get the actors to tell the story as much as you are then, right? Yes. The actors aren't just, yeah. oh, this is the actors aren't doing this scene and, being, and then shooting something that happened before just because they're, they're actually mm-hmm. telling the story right. with you. I mean, now that right. means then that the, the budgets can inflate that yep. way because you're not shooting efficiently. You're, you know, but... Hitchcock got to do what he wanted. That's right. He, he made dang hits, man. Like, <laughs> You couldn't tell him no, no after a certain point in time. Like he, like by the end of the '30s, he had made himself legend. Yeah, you know. And then he before came to he, America. And won even, the... He came to America a king. You yeah. Know? And then he and then and then he won the Academy Award with his first American movie. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think it was said that, uh, that there was a quote that says, "London has a few things that we'll never have," and uh, or 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 Britain has a couple claims to fame that that we that, that we cannot hope to equal. And those three things are the Tower Bridge. Uh, something like uh, like Westminster Abbey and Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. And those are th- things that we can never emulate that will always and forever be Britain's own. No, they will be. There's never been like an American Hitchcock. No, there's, 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 Hitchcock's just Hitchcock. I think he, Nolan try, I think Nolan is the one who tries his best. Yeah, but Gus Van Zant did that one thing. <laughs> did did, <laughs> did the shot-for-shot shot remake yeah, of Psycho. Did, right, <laughs> which is an interesting experiment, but to yeah. voice that upon the public is just wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, I thought that was interesting. Um, I hope you'll indulge me. I'd like to read a few of his quotes sure. because I think they're all just so good. Some of them are dark. Some of them kind of explain things interestingly. Here's um, something you sort of goes to your um, comment about his fight scenes. He says, film your murders like love scenes and film your love scenes like murders. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yep. Come going about how yes. you were describing things. Here's another one that says, always make the audience suffer as much as possible. Oh, yep. I like that. Uh-huh. 
I like that. That that sounds sounds like him. Uh, the length of a film should be directly related to the endurance of the human bladder. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it depends. I mean, yeah, yeah, he never. They were. They're never really two hours. Yeah. Rope is an hour and twenty. Strangers on a train is an hour and forty. Shadow of a Doubt's an hour and forty. I think mm-hmm. Rear Windows like. Just under two hours. Vertigo is a long one. Yeah, uh, uh, Rebecca's long. Rebecca's, Rebecca's uh, long. two two hours and ten minutes. Right, okay. one hundred thirty. Rebecca's minutes. long. Vertigo's too long. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like it. It's a good movie, but yeah, but like I, if I, you know, I, it's I, good. It's it's I, a, I, it's a little bit of a slog, though. I think you and I are in the same wavelength in that, like, a movie should be ninety minutes. Ninety yes. minutes is optimal movie length. Right. Here's a great one that I that I like. It says, "There is a dreadful story that I hate actors." Imagine anyone hating James Stewart, Jack L. Warner. I can't imagine how such a rumor began. Of course, it may possibly be because I once quoted as saying that actors are cattle. <laughs> My actor friends know I would never be capable of such a thoughtless, rude, and unfeeling remark that I would, I would never call them cattle. What I probably said was that actors should be treated like cattle. <laughs> just this, he was so, yeah, yeah, just so, he so, he's so good with he's, stuff like he's that. He's droll. That's yeah. that's oh, the yeah. word for it. He 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 is he's just very droll. I mean, listen to him. He's like, there's nothing quite so good as a burial at sea. It is simple, tidy, and not very incriminating. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it just I, I love oh, that that dry. It's just so matter of fact with all of this. Yeah, thing. and it's very wry. Just mm-hmm. sort of, you can see just a little smirk. Like I just kind told, of there's yeah. kind of a smirk, but sometimes he's yeah. very deadpan with it. Like if yes. his intros on. Um, there's an implied smirk. His intros yeah. on like uh, on Alfred Hitchcock. On Alfred presents, Hitchcock like, presents. Yes. And now, because the network thinks it's appropriate, a word from our sponsor. Like, I don't think we need sponsors, but apparently the network does, so that's what we're going to do now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, he, like, sometimes he would come back and be like, w- I think even a few times he'd come back and be like, what a wonderful ad. Back to our story. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it was interesting that he was not afraid of television mm-hmm. in the way that a lot of other movie people no. were. Here's a quote for him about television. Actually, he said, "I made a I made a remark a long time ago. I said I was very pleased that television was now showing murder stories because it's bringing murder back into its rightful setting, the home." <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, no, he really was not afraid of TV. No, he leaned into it. He had his own TV show that was very successful. Ten yep. years it ran, uh, tons of episodes. Yeah, they're, you said they're all on Hulu. I think they're all on Hulu. That's go. where I've been watching them. He directed like eighteen of them. I yeah, think. <laughs> which is a lot. A lot. Yeah, I can't believe he he because usually what you would think would happen is he would just sort of slap his name on it and walk away and be there for the intros kind of like how yeah. what Serling ended up doing for the night gallery right, right? like right. Serling was still pretty involved in the twilight zone but yeah. but the night gallery he was more or less there to introduce stuff i think i think the first season he was yeah. pretty he had his hands on but yeah. after that he didn't and then when Serling's radio show uh zero hour i think he was purely there to host mm-hmm. and introduce um, his radio show Zero Hour is good, by the way, but that's uh, yeah. that's for another time. Yeah, that's for when we talk about old time radio. There you go. Oh yeah, old time <laughs> radio. There are so many great topics, but that we need to talk about. But yeah, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about Halloween cartoons. We need to talk about Christmas cartoons comics. too. Yeah. Oh boy, Christmas is coming up, folks. Yep, I know. Christmas is coming up. I was thinking about that today. Oh boy. Oh man, we got less brainstorm. than two months. We yeah. got a brainstorm. My sister's um, probably dressing my. Niece and nephew like elves as we speak. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah. early. My, si- my, sister gets, early. my sister gets into it early. <laughs> well, t- my, I will say my wife is really wants to watch Christmas movies. And I said, no. can we 
okay, here's a compromise. November. Can you just wait till November? And she doesn't even want to wait that long. No. But my, I, that's my, the compromise I, we made. My rule is my. I tell my wife if she wants to get started on them Lifetime Christmas movies early that she loves to watch yeah. every year, fine. Yeah, fine. I'm going to start watching. I, I will join you. Starting December first yes. after Thanksgiving, but yeah. you you can you can have it in the house for yeah. as long as you want. I will um, uh, yeah. try to ignore it until December first. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, and I'll, I love I'll, Christmas. I will acquiesce. I'm like a three year old at Christmas, but oh, yeah, I also too. think that if I start celebrating it now, yeah, uh, I'm going to hate it by the time it oh, actually rolls around. Right, right. I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> totally with you on that. All right, so, so back so, to so, Hitchcock and TV. So Hitchcock and TV. Um, well, I think that's all I wanted to say about it. Is I, I'm looking at the time going, and I'm like, oh, geez. Uh, unless you have any other things you really want to get out there about themes or production of Hitchcock, I'd like to go right into the our favorites. No, I think I uh, talked about all the ones that I tend to pick up on or okay. that are available in uh, my favorites. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, like we'll it. talk about our favorite movies then. All right. Would you like to start? Sure. All right, um, lay it on me. <laughs> Strangers on a Train okay. is my favorite. Wow. I think I, I, that's not one I saw until college, until in a class. I think the, the one, this was just a general intro to film studies class, and we watched Blackmail. That's the first place I saw Blackmail. Okay, yeah. It's the first place I saw Shadow of a Doubt. That's the first place, I, and I saw we watched Strangers on a Train. The first place I saw Strangers on a Train, and and we watched Rear Window, which I had long loved. But Strangers mm-hmm. on a Train is great. It's just just this little claustrophobic story. I mean, uh, based on a Patricia Highsmith novel. Oh, I don't um, know that. And the movie, I mean, the movie is a little different, differently characterized, but follows it enough. Tennis star Guy Haynes uh, accidentally kicks the leg of uh, rich layabout Bruno Antony mm-hmm. on a train leaving from D.C. Uh, going to, well, Guy's going to Metcalf. He's going home to get his wife to, to sign the papers for his wife's divorce. And then, uh, and Bruno, I don't know where he's going, but he, you know, cozies up to Guy and you know, he knows who Guy is from seeing stuff in the society pages and knows that Guy is wanting to marry his new girlfriend, this senator's daughter, and divorce mm-hmm. his wife. And uh, knows that his wife is difficult and ran out on him. And Bruno hates his father. So he comes up with the insane idea, uh, wouldn't it be fun if I killed your wife for you and you killed my dad? <laughs> and then neither of us have the motive to kill the other. We'd get away with it. We crisscross. Yeah. And you know, guy thinking Bruno's a nut murder. says, of, yeah. yeah. And guy mm-hmm. thinking Bruno's a nut says, oh, of course, Bruno, that's a great idea. <laughs> I have to leave. I'll see you later. Well, which Bruno takes as is, yes, go kill my wife for me, which Bruno does. Ooh, and then boy. guy won't hold up his end of the bargain. You're selling me on this. It's a time. very <laughs> good stalker. Um, yeah. Oh it's my not, gosh, it's I gotta, a good stalker I gotta watch movie. Watch this. it. This is a great um, October flick. Viewing. And it's not. What's interesting about it is I don't think any of the final draft is really his because he and Hitchcock got in a fight. Mm. But his name is still credited on it is that Raymond Chandler, famous uh, writer of uh, detective potboilers like Mm -hmm. uh, The Long Goodbye and The Maltese Falcon, you know, who gave uh, who introduced us to Sam Spade. Yep. Um, Right. The Maltese Falcon is his. Yes. Maltese Falcon, a long goodbye, farewell, my lovely, 
other things mm-hmm. like that, had a go at the script. And I think he hated wor- working with Hitchcock, but Hitchcock kept his name. Hitchcock was very particular yes. with scripts. Very but, particular. But Raymond Chandler had a go at the script, and mm-hmm. it is. It is a very noir Hitchcock movie, but it is mm-hmm. great. Um, yeah. Robert Walker plays Bruno Anthony and is great in it. And Robert Walker would die after uh, taking too many barbiturates with alcohol oh, shortly boy. before the film was released. Uh, but shame. he and Farley Granger are great playing off of one another with Bruno Walker as the with a uh, Robert Walker as Bruno Anthony the stalker, and Guy Haynes as the helpless tennis player who gets in way over his head immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, like Bruno comes to say, I killed your boy for you. And Guy Haynes won't like, doesn't go to the cops right away. It's like, Oh, I got to cover this up. I got to cover this up. And, uh, Oh, it is, it is great. It is claustrophobic. It is tense. It is. Yeah. You'll, it's like, uh, it's one of his that you can be on the edge of your seat and it's got some funny parts. Like, yeah. uh, like I told you about the, the Harvard Delaware tech joke. And, yeah. And, you know, great scenes at this, carnival which is just yeah makes the, carnival seem creepy for yeah now. right um but when, uh, when we're when that's like the last time carnivals could be seen as not creepy yes you know but it is great um just two great performances from everybody all around um hitchcock's daughter i think patricia hitchcock mm-hmm. is in it mm-hmm. got a small part and she is great she is great i mean hmm. and her character is like imbued with all the humor you heard in those Hitchcock quotes. We oh, yeah. Heard. Like, yes. <laughs> like, little female Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, she probably grew up hearing it all the time. It was great. Yeah. I mean, she she is great in the movie. And it's just... Uh, it it's it gives me the chills. It's creepy, and it's just... Yeah. Oof, it's I, one of the... It's, it's I think, is, is best. I, my I think, favorite. Anyway. I think that's going to be my next one on yes, the list to watch. watch that one, 39 Steps. Yes. There's another one too that uh, um, the the original version of the man who knew too much. Oh, okay, because with Peter Lorre. Well, because I love Peter Lorre. Yeah. So, and any chance to watch him, and if you'll oblige me, one of my favorites is one that I just watched yesterday, but I loved it, and it is of course the Lady Vanishes. It's a 1938 British film, so it's before Hitchcock came to America. Unless you were done with. Oh no, I'm done. Okay. Yes, good. yes you right. can go. Uh, it is 1938 British production before he came to the states. It is a film about uh, there's a there's a young woman who is traveling back home to England from a foreign country that is referred to as uh, one of the other characters as a hole, <laughs> not a nice place apparently, but but she's headed back home and before she gets in the train she suffers a head injury a flower pot falls in her head. And this old woman decides to take care of her when I think she, uh, when it sees she sees it could have been her that it hit. She says, "Well, I'll take care of you. Let's go on the train and and I'll make mm-hmm. sure everything you're taken care of and and all that." So this nice old lady takes care of her. They have tea together, and to sort of, and then uh, the young woman tries to sleep off her injury. She falls asleep. She wakes up, and the old lady's gone. Ooh. And she. Asks around and says, "Hey, what happened to uh, what happened to my friend? What friend? Oh. This old lady that I was with. What old lady? There was nobody here. What? Why I wouldn't have to go tea with them? No, you were here by yourself. And so the whole thing is like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> to the lady who yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah. the lady vanished, 
and it's it's great. I didn't didn't see the answer. What happened? Like <laughs> I, I did not see it coming. It, they did such a great job. I mean, Hitchcock did such a great job of giving you clues to let you know something something's not right, but not enough to let you know exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. and you still you second guess yourself. Like, well. Did she exist, or was it like the brain doctor said that it was just her illusion? Like, what? What? What's the deal here? The uh, the other characters are, are great. There, there's a they really don't get on the train until about uh, twenty minutes into the movie, twenty uh-huh. thirty minutes into the movie. And before that, it's just you getting to know these characters before yeah. they get on the train. And like I said earlier, there is the, uh, the the couple of cricket fans who that's all they can think about, and all that they're focused on is is trying to make sure they get to, to cricket. And and there's a great jokes. You you know they're they're not quite. They they try to act like they're above everything. Uh-huh. You know, we're English. We're above everything. And all that kind of stuff. But uh, at the same time, he he said uh, he said I don't understand why we had to stand for for that Hungarian Rhapsody piece. And he said, well, it's their national anthem. And he thinks, you know, it's the Hungarian Rhapsody is the hungry national anthem. And he's like, well, did you think it was weird that we were the only two standing? He said, well, yes, but it's important to be polite. And, and, you know, just this, yeah. this just drags on. But, yeah, uh, that humor in the mundane, though. Yeah, right. Thing. Yeah, I, his and character. I love humor like, in the mundane. Yeah. Ask me, edit like all of my favorite uh, Simpsons quotes are Marge quotes because I just I love her dryness. Just yeah. like Bart, you know how I don't like you prying and jimmying. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's those are my favorite yeah. Simpsons quotes. But but I love that that sense of humor and, and you get to learn what some of the characters are like, what the relationships yeah. are, how tough their character is. And another thing I, I mentioned too in the if you don't want to know the end of this, I just skip three minutes ahead, three or four minutes ahead. Okay. Okay. Just letting you know that because it is a great movie. And I don't, if you haven't seen it, I know it's 80 years old, but I don't want to yeah. spoil it for you. Go back and do that earlier with my uh, Strangers on a Train spoilers. Yes. Stop here, go back before that, then skip the four minutes <laughs> yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it's found out that, that she is a victim of a political plot, that there are foreign agents at work because oh. she has a code on her that she is trying to bring back to England for intelligence. So what 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 you see is what's how some of these characters react to, because they've obviously all been bribed to right. convince this woman that this lady didn't exist. Oh, and yeah. Right. So so and some of them are more willing to play along than others. The Italian is very willing to play <laughs> along, um, while the others, the English boys who care about cricket, just sort of rather they they weren't involved. Uh, just like, okay. So so when they get asked about the old woman, it's like well. I wasn't really paying attention, <laughs> like, you know, like a, a, any way they can to give a non-answer. Okay, all right. And these are mostly English people on the way back because they are going to the train is bound for England, England. but okay. there's foreign, right. uh, other foreigners at play. And towards the very end, there is, I, I think, a do, a big theme in that film that you see is everyone eventually ends up pitching in to defeat the foreign, like the foreign menace. This, okay, this sort of this totalitarian unnamed totalitarian state at, at play here oh, um, right. but I, I think it shows that the strength of normal people I uh-huh. think is a big and I like that a lot the strength and yeah even that bumbling uh, even that bumble guy only cares about cricket 
he does some brave things by the end of the movie, <laughs> yeah. you know? And the, the main hero of the story is a guy who's, he's a musicologist. Like, you know, oh, he's, wow. not, he's not really particularly, you know, he's not a particularly talented fighter, but he's curious and that helps him, you know? Right. And he eventually helps bolster the lady and the, the and the, the main, the young lady does get some things in, which they have a fight with the Italian. She, uh, and he has his knife out. He's going to do it. The, the lady <laughs> wins the day by grabbing up and just giving a big old bite on his hand and making oh. him give up the knife <laughs> and it's it's a great it's a great victorious like fist pumping like yeah! yes lady yeah lady save the day yeah yeah um it's and the chemistry between the the leading lady and the leading man is just wow it's oh, great ah uh, go see the lady vanishes okay. that movie is wonderful thanks thank you thanks to my brother aaron who <laughs> insisted i watch it all right um he thanks, was the one aaron. when i when i told him that i was doing this podcast said, you gotta watch lady vanishes watch that one watch that one because he's a big Hitchcock oh, nut awesome. uh i hope i hope you like this podcast aaron yeah. i'm gonna issue a correction yeah re my Ray, raymond chandler comments because uh-huh. i think as soon as the words got out of my mouth i knew it was wrong dashdell hammett was sam spade the maltese falcon uh, Chandler was Marlowe in the Big Sleep and the Long Goodbye. I just okay. somehow put Sam Spade and Maltese Falcon in there. No, it was yeah, Raymond Chandler wrote, gave us Marlowe in the Big Sleep and the Long Goodbye. Dashiell gotcha. Hammett was the one who gave us the Maltese Falcon. Humphrey Bogart involved in both. Yes, there's your confusion. And, and then Elliot Gould in the movie version of Long Goodbye in 1973. Oh, yeah, Elliot Gould. Yep, I love that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, more uh, yeah, favorites? all right. Go, uh, go go ahead. Give, um, give us your next one. Rope. Rope. Um, mm-hmm. It's more known for Hitchcock's interesting techniques. He shot it all in long takes mm-hmm. using a single camera. And it's basically when you're watching it, it's like you're watching a play. So the camera is following people moving. It takes place in this one apartment. But if somebody's that you need to pay attention to is going to the kitchen, the camera is following him from where he walks to the from the living room to the kitchen and mm-hmm. it's staying it's not like static it's not like coming around him and following him up front if he's walking to the kitchen the camera is behind him walking it so he's yeah. talking but you're looking at the back yeah so it's a lot of that it's like you're watching a play um yeah. so it's more known for that technique uh it's, the critics sort of sort of got a mixed reception from yeah. critics i think it is a great movie i love it would I you say it. the long shots are sort of like a long rope of oh, film yes a long <laughs> oh yeah a long rope of film yeah i like that um, i like that but it's great uh once again starring uh farley granger mm-hmm. as philip and john Dahl as brandon the two friends who live together in the same new york apartment and who strangle their young younger school chum mm-hmm. and loosely based off of the uh leopold and loeb murder yes yeah so they murder him and then put his body in a trunk in the middle of the living room. And then they have a party. Yeah. And they serve all their food off of the trunk where the body is. So the pretense of the party is to, you know, have some old books that, that this guy who they murdered's father wants to look at. Mm. You know, um, and so they wanted to murder him and then have everybody come over. And Brandon seems to want to rub it in their faces that he's killed this guy without letting them know that he's killed the guy. Yeah. But like, yeah. Cause he doesn't, he thinks they're idiots and they're dull yeah. and they won't yeah. figure it out. So yeah. he's sort of kind of hinting at it because one of the guests is Jimmy Stewart's professor, uh, Rupert Cadell, who was their old housemaster in prep school mm. and first floated the idea to them that murder and life is a privilege for the, 
superior. Mm. And so the truly superior should be able to murder the inferior and not get away with it. And he was a Ooh, philosophy teacher. Yeah, that's dark. So he floated the idea in just one of these philosophy oh, um, discussions. But they think, oh, if anyone's going to get very, it, it will be him. That's and he very will Nietzschean. Ap- and he will approve, yes. Yeah. So they think, oh, we can do it, and he will approve. So, they, yeah, they believe in the idea. It actually gets mentioned. So you believe the idea in Nietzsche's of the Ubermensch or the yeah. Superman. They're like, well, yes. And so there's a lot of that talking about that and hinting that this is going to happen. Mm. Meanwhile, Jimmy Stewart's character, Professor Cadell, Mr. Cadell, sort of suspects and spends a lot of his time grilling Farley Granger's character, Philip, who has always been more uneasy about the murder, Mm -hmm. uh, basically grilling him until he has a drunken breakdown. (laughs) And so he basically has it barely has it before the party lets everybody goes home yeah and jimmy stewart's character comes back in order to uh because he suspects yeah sort of to see if he's right and um everything breaks down from there farley granger goes nuts gets drunker and 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 can't handle it and john doll's character gets a little too a little too uppity about it a little too uppity and uh, proud of himself yeah and it's i've always been fascinated by the leopold and loeb murder case and it's it's um it's you know you you think of when you think about jimmy stewart you think about him in his little monologue telling him off telling off mr potter and it's a wonderful life yeah the monologue at the end of this Uh i like better Mm. because you get to see jimmy stewart like racked with disgust and Mm. Anger, but not anger because other little people are getting put down. Anger because he is the guy, he first put the idea in these guys' heads, and they yeah. took it to its extreme that he never thought anybody could go. Like, yeah. I brought this idea, but who is anybody to decide who is inferior and who is superior? And like, just the yeah. disgust drips off of his voice, and he gets intense, and he gets mad. Yeah, and it's just uh, his. I I love. I He's love slowly that. morphing into an egalitarian yeah. on screen. Yeah. <laughs> if you like, if you if you if you think of uh, if you think of you know, Mister Smith goes to Washington, or It's mm. a Wonderful Life. When you think of Jimmy Stewart, watch Rope to mm. see something else. Um, mm-hmm. It is just it's just good, and like it's like it's like I said, it's watching a play. It's watching it play, and it's it's fascinating to look at the techniques, but mm. also like it's very seamless. So like I yeah. think after after you because he did after you see to, it uh, once and you go yeah. oh oh he's doing this, it just you forget about it, and you're just yeah. watching this this hour and twenty minute game of cat and mouse, and yeah. that's what it is. It's a yeah. game of cat and mouse with a yeah. very uh, buffoonishly. <laughs> arrogant cat yeah yeah uh well multiple games of cat and mouse i guess because you got the murderer playing his game of cat and mouse and you got jimmy stewart's character playing his game of cat and mouse it's um yeah it's it's good i i we we were talking about this during uh during the break but but that showed at the north park theater in buffalo uh, a couple years ago one or two years ago yeah and i wanted to see it but it was good there was uh like i said it was shown by this film class probably a senior class elective at this high school local yeah. high school Nichols high school and so there was a uh, the movie uh a brief discussion beforehand it's sort of like an outline of like professor's notes and then yeah. and then there was a discussion of it afterwards yeah yeah um it was it was good and it was uh i was glad i got to go see it at a movie theater on a big screen yeah, after yeah. years of watching it on my tv that's how uh, hitchcock films work best yes they're meant to be seen in the theater mm-hmm. 
here's my only other favorite film that I have listed. All right. Um, because I really haven't I, I haven't seen as much as I should. I really okay. haven't. I've seen about I think I think I've seen eight of his films, seven or eight films of okay. his. Not enough, but but Psycho. But it's still plenty. It's still yeah. Enough. I still you, enough still enough to know to know what is. his work is about. Yes. Yep. Um, but Psycho, it laid so much groundwork, and so late in his career. This is 1960. He'd been yes. making movies for three decades up yep. to this point. Longer than that. Almost three, four three, decades. Three, three, almost four decades. Yeah. And he makes the biggest movie of his career, I would say. I think yes. it's Psycho. Psycho is his biggest hit. It's, yeah, I think so. It's the one that's had the most impact, I think. Yeah. There's just so much about it. The music. Bernard oh. Herrmann's score. I, I love that uh, the way he des- her uh, the way Bernard Herman described it. He said this is a black and white movie, so I gave it a black and white score. And by that, it's a it's a very scaled down orchestra. It's just mostly just strings. Yes. No percussion. No right. horns. Right. Uh, but still incredibly effective. The, yep. The the treat treat treat. Yep. Is so shrill and still supremely unsettling. When a murder is about to take place, <laughs> yes, and there's only two that you see in the whole movie, right? But they're so visceral and shocking, and done so, yeah, yeah visceral is the right word that you you don't forget it, right? Um, yeah, everyone it's... always likes to talk about the the shower scene, you know, but there are two other big scenes in that movie that really jump out to me and that that are burned in my memory. And one of them is when Detective Arbogast is going up the staircase and you see the door of the bedroom slowly open. And then in a big wide shot where you see the whole staircase, you see everything, the foyer and everything. Out from the side comes the murderer, brandishing the knife, stabs him, he's dead, and he falls down the stairs in a tracking shot that follows him down the stairs. Yes. Well, it's not really a tracking shot. I guess he's technically on a rear projection screen, but, but it know, works. It works. I, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling Trey before we started recording that uh, we watched that in college. Uh, my townhouse was watching it around Halloween. Yep. And, you know, the, the shower scene, of course, was very scary. A lot of folks kind of gasped or whatever. Yeah. But when that happened, when, when the staircase murder yeah. happened, People jumped. People like oh, yeah. screamed. Like ah! <laughs> they, that, that's his. That's his jump scare movie. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. For sure. That's his. Sure. That's his. Truly, that's his one horror film. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Right. It's not a thriller. It's a real horror flick. Yeah. Right here. Like there is there is gore. It's not a lot. No. Not a lot at all. Right. But it's there. Yeah. And it's very heavily implied. Mm-hmm. I think it's said that um, in the shower scene that there are exactly. You never see the knife penetrating the skin, but for two short frames where the knife goes in probably about two millimeters into the skin. <laughs> that, But yeah. that's it. You see it, yeah. Yeah, just very barely. But it works. It works. And you and like people believe they've seen, you know, these stabs, but you didn't. No. Yeah, the, the music amazing the what your screen. brain can fill in. Yeah, the, the, the fact that like... Uh, he kills his main character like half an hour into the movie. Yeah, like, like that's ballsy. <laughs> that's really ballsy. Uh, he said, "Yeah, I yeah. mean, he said it was going to be his most shocking film. I yeah. think it was. It worked. <laughs> he, he worked. Ugh. 
He mustn't yeah. tell anyone uh, the ending. You, uh, no one will be admitted after the start of the picture. Was right? the yep. pro- was the promotional material? Yep. Like we said, there's that great trailer uh, that came uh, that came before it. But yeah, that's great. Psycho is. I don't know yeah. if you have anything to add to that. Well, I was just gonna say. Uh, speaking of Bernard Herman. Mm-hmm. His scores on any Hitchcock movie are great. Yeah, he did like what twelve movies. I think so, yeah, he North did the, a the, lot. The the the, op- the credit music in the beginning. Uh, oh the, yeah, that music for North mm-hmm. by Northwest. Yes. Yeah. Bernard Herrmann knew how to bring it. Did he do the score for Rear Window? Maybe. I think he did. His Rear Window's got that great little in the background, like like that little almost jazz track that's coming out of like a radio in the courtyard right yes. and you have the guy who's um who's writing songs yeah in it who is it's david seville david seville <laughs> alvin and the chipmunks yes. there you go uh-huh. what a connection but yeah but yeah that does it yeah. it sounds like um the guy burt Bacharach. no um I forget the composer. Maybe his name is Paul, but... Oh, the music of a rear window was by Franz Waxman. Franz Waxman. Okay. Yeah. That stuff is great, but that... that yeah. and, the, and the piano tinkling. Uh-huh. But it, it reminds me of... Um, the, the It's used in an episode of... I forget. The, it's a it's a jazz composer, but it's not necessarily jazz. It almost sounds canned, but it's that... Um, it's yeah. used in some... Uh, Ren and Stimpy episodes. I think oh, the one where the, the firefighters like like, like Raymond Scott. Yeah, That's what the music of Rear Window in the background. It sounds like it's coming out of radar. Powerhouse is the name of that track by Raymond Scott. Yeah, I love Raymond Scott. Let's see here. I want to make sure we get this right. Collaboration with Alfred Hitchcock. He did Vertigo. Okay. Yes, I knew Vertigo. I know North by Northwest. Psycho. He did Psycho. Uh, he was a sound consultant on The Birds. Okay. Uh, Marnie. Yep. Trouble with Harry. Okay, yeah. Uh, North by Northwest. It's just, yeah, such a perfect composer for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, that Psycho soundtrack is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have it on my Halloween Spotify playlist. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, you got another favorite for us? Perhaps, well, to, perhaps to wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I think we both can talk about it because we've both seen it. Why don't we talk about Rear Window? Let's talk about Rear Window. Because, I mean, I, I watched Shadow of a Doubt for this. For I like that a lot, but I, we yeah. mentioned some about it. Rear Window is a phenomenal. Well, Furthermore, let's talk about David Seville. Uh, his <laughs> career started with, uh, what did he do? With Witch Doctor in, right. the ni- in 1959. But he <laughs> was <laughs> in the scene in Rear Window. <laughs> no, um, anyway. But no, Rear Window is... Uh, is a terrific film. Yes, I remember watching it in the summer when I was home from college with my brother, and and just uh, sort of feeling feeling like at first it's a little slow going, but then you kind of pick up the pieces along with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I, I think it's because you feel Jimmy Stewart's boredom. You I do. think he's just such. You yeah, do. Hitchcock's it, so good at uh, conveying it. Right. Well, because it puts you like, what are a lot of the shots of that movie if they're not of him in the apartment? Yeah. Is 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 seeing what else is going on so you're looking out that courtyard mm-hmm. when he is so you feel mm-hmm. his boredom because yeah. you're in there trapped in the apartment with him without yeah. with without use of your legs because of your accident mm-hmm. and so you feel it because you start by seeing what he sees mm-hmm. he looks out into that courtyard and you see and you know, oh miss lonely hearts and yeah um, you know what's that uh, guy the newlywed couple newlywed couple yeah uh, and so you see, you you feel his boredom because there's a lot of POV shots of him. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a lot from his point of view. Yeah. Um. 
So you feel it. He puts you right into the mind of his protagonist there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just like, I think it's like a marvel of set design. I mean, I think that that was one of the first things that grabbed me. It was just like... They built that full they courtyard. They built that full courtyard. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think like, I, I was like, that's a, that's, it's just fascinating to see all this. It's courtyard, just like, you know, and, you know, everything looks like a, a home. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I, I think about his sets, like, and we talked, and yeah, mm-hmm. and I, we talked about his sets, like, desk lamps and dark walls, mm-hmm. and, like, even though his movies are thrillers and shadowy, like, everything looks cozy. Mm-hmm. Everything, yes. everything in those movies, every room you see is a room that I wouldn't mind sitting in for a yeah. few hours. We're watching The Lady Vanishes and the, yeah. the, the, the train cabins and, and the sitting rooms there, and we're like, man, I wish trains were still like this. Right. <laughs> Everything looks comfortable, but he's yeah. real good at showing you the nasty parts of a comfortable... Everything looks like it could be a comfortable, normal life if this murder didn't happen. Mm. this nasty stuff can happen in your comfortable home your comfortable right. place like so everything looks like a place that you could see yourself sitting and see yourself enjoying being around and all this bad stuff starts to happen and i think like you can see uh, in any of those apartments in rear window but you're bored sitting there and mm. so it's it's some it, everything looks nice but it's boring to watch this guy sit in his room and mm-hmm. so, uh, uh i mean it's it's not boring that that is for that's a cool scene mm. where it's just dark and you just see his cigarette, mm-hmm. his ash, his glowing yeah. ash through the dark window, and mm-hmm. you just see that. It's German expressionism served him well. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's just I mean, it, and it's just intricate. Like that set's built the apartment building. So when you have you could see Grace Kelly come up the stairs into the hallway outside outside of Thorwald's apartment and go through the door and then be in the apartment, and it's just from where Jimmy Stewart is seeing it. So that whole set, like that's an apartment building. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's one he built. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's something he very easily he didn't find a building he could right, fill into like that. Right. He and, built this set, and, and that's what most people would have done. They would have said, "Well, LA's full of buildings. Let's just find one and no. do it." No, Hitchcock was like, "It needs to be made it's, for my movie. Yes. I, I need to be able to manipulate it as I need to." Right. To make it work I'm away from yeah. the mic, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, uh, yeah right. <laughs> I hope you caught whatever I just said, but yeah, it's fine. But yeah. I mean, it's just it's a marvel, of, like set design and set building. It, it's it's just funny to think because like I think like and we talked about his blondes and like I think you can tell he he liked to leer because mm-hmm. uh, Grace Kelly is stunning in that movie mm-hmm. and also great as she's yeah. she's the hero of that mo- right. that movie. I mean, she's the, if Jimmy Stewart doesn't have her in that movie, he either is full of boredom because he sees something he doesn't like and then he puts the ideas into her head and then she goes and acts to investigate everything. Right. Right. Which, by the way. Because he can't, he can't investigate. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And and when he talks and when they talk to his detective friend, the detective Mm -hmm. doesn't think anything's weird no mm. people don't believe that this thing could have happened there mm. the guy's got that tight an alibi so like without her nothing gets spurred into action this guy gets away with murder and jimmy stewart's just watching it happen and probably still boring and still depressed and so depressed in that apartment that he's surly and angry and breaks up with grace kelly anyway right yeah yeah <laughs> like, like you know yeah yeah <laughs> like if she's not there like she's she's the the wheels that keep that whole movie going yeah. i think mm-hmm. um she's great in it uh, the the ending is, I think, probably the most thrilling thing he did. Yes, is 
Because you I'm, can hear the footsteps coming up the hall. You know, right. I, I remember as I was watching it back then, is is just you know inch by inch. My brother and I are both creeping closer and closer to the edge of our seats. As as you know, like to the point, I think my, I remember my brother just yelling like, "Get out of there!" Yeah, <laughs> like, like at the top of his lungs. And you you're know, yelling you, at it with the grace. You're like, oh, she's caught. Yeah, and right. she wiggles her way out of that. Right, and then uh-huh. he comes for Jimmy Stewart. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, like Hitchcock said, he liked to play his audience like a piano, and yeah. he sure played he us. He sure did. He played us. You know, because he gets you. Yeah, he puts you right in Jimmy Stewart's head. Yeah, and you're just you're just watching this mundane life, and you see something. You know, that that's the thing is that he sees the murder, and so that's some of the excitement he can have. Yeah, because he's laid up because of his own reckless need to go get these pictures i mean mm-hmm. and it's cool you see the pictures of the accident because he was taken you know he was he was at a, it was at a racetrack right he's taking pictures at some racetrack yeah and you can see the pictures of the the car crash flying at him like yeah. he just didn't get he wanted the picture he didn't get out of the way of this wreck <laughs> and he just you're watching him and you're it's his boredom and then oh something happened now Stuff yeah. is interesting again, yeah. and he goes back to his old his camera lens, his voyeur lens. He's using that camera lens to spy on everything, mm. and it's just like I said, the little snippets of life you can like you can see Miss Lonely Hearts being depressed and yeah. what, taking that overdose of pills that she takes or something, right? Oh, right. Yeah, does she I don't take remember. an overdose of pills? I don't I remember. It's been does. too long since that. I've but seen you it. see her walking across the street for some to go sit all dialed up to sit at the restaurant. Yes, see the gymnast waiting for. And he's this scrum, like her military man to come home, and he comes back, and he looks like he's like this little pipsqueak. He's yeah. shorter than her, yeah. And it's just yeah. it's oh, I Hitchcock's that. making me laugh. Yeah, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. newlywed couple, the David Seville next door. Yeah, with that beautiful apartment, but he can't write a song to save his life. So why does he have that apartment? And yeah. Alfred Hitchcock is his butler, <laughs> setting yeah. his clock. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> so he's just setting his clock in one scene. Yeah, oh. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's any honorable mentions you want to you want to say, but I mean, I I think I've I mean, like I said, yeah. I watched Shadow, Shadow of a Doubt's another good one. Um if yeah. you're familiar with uh theater and the play Our Town uh yeah. by Thornton Wilder, Thornton Wilder wrote the screenplay for Shadow of a Doubt. I mean, he had, I just it's just, just we could just look at the writers he had on some of this stuff. At least mm-hmm. or doing first drafts of the uh drafts of the script like like uh Raymond Chandler. I don't think mm-hmm. Strangers on a Train was anything like Raymond Chandler's draft, but he did work on it, fought yeah. with Hitchcock, still got a credit on it. I think Hitchcock just wanted to keep his name up there, and I don't think Chandler was very happy that his no. name was on that movie. Mm-hmm. But like Thornton Wilder, I mean, it's just uh, it's just great. I mean, he, he attracted yeah. great writers. He attracted great actors to him. I mean, we, we, you mentioned Citizen Kane earlier. Joseph Cotton yeah. is, in, mm-hmm. is in Shadow of a Doubt. You know, I, I do think one honorable mention I want to make probably would be The Lodger, because that, oh, okay. that is a really good, it's a great silent thriller. All right. It's very influenced by German Expressionism, <laughs> which for me is a very good thing. You, um, you're never quite sure if, if, the act, if, the, if the title character really is the murderer or not, or if he's innocent, and, and even, at, toward, even towards, as you get towards the very end, and you're pretty sure he's innocent, but, but uh, he can have an out, right? You well, know, he um, like he had, yeah. like sowing that doubt, right? Really. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a very good little silent thriller. I, I would recommend it. It's it's a good movie. Right. Um, it's expertly shot. Okay. Cin- yeah, watch it for the cinematography. Cinematography, if nothing else, because it's great cinematography. All right. Um, but yeah. So that's been uh, our favorite Hitchcock films. We've had a lot to say. Uh, we were uh, another thing we were saying 
uh, is that this really is a very meaty topic. Yes. There is so much that can be said about Hitchcock. Uh, Trey took a whole dang class on him. Yep. Uh, so this, even though this is probably going to end up being about two hours, this is the, the surface. Yeah. This is still just the surface. Um, Hitchcock movies tweet are at great. us if you want part two. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you really want part two, tweet at us. Also, if you want me to review every uh, version of Donkey Kong that ever came out, uh, let me know if that as well because I'm still debating about whether or not I want to finish that project. All but right. anyways, there's a lot to to cover. There's a yep. lot of great films to watch. So if you haven't seen these, go watch them. They're good. Yes, they're really good. And if you have, well, I hope you liked it. So yeah. with that all having been said, Trey. What have you got to plug for us today? I just I keep writing my uh, podcast obsessed columns for the Geekiverse, so come read those. See me on the Geekiverse. Great feature, great feature. Yeah. <laughs> so just just come see me. Those uh, things will settle down for me in the fall for a bit. So maybe I'll be able to write some other things. Oh yeah, I have did, did ideas you, bouncing around bunch, in my uh, head. Beforehand, kind of a thing. No, but I mean, just in terms of other uh, uh, commitments oh, outside yeah, of the yeah, Geekiverse yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm, like I'll just mm-hmm. have more free time to maybe review a couple things or, yeah. or you know write write about some other stuff but um yeah keep looking out for podcast obsessed uh i have a lot of time putting it to, a lot of fun putting it together for everybody so and you're also part of an improv troupe oh yes if, i do i perform that, yeah i'm a member of um comedy sports buffalo's minor league we perform friday nights at uh Nine thirty tickets are uh, five dollars. I think if you go see the major league match beforehand at seven thirty, you can stay for free for the minor league match. There you go. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say that, but I think Comedy Sports put that on their Instagram today, so well, <laughs> I can't be getting in trouble. Nope, there's no. But way. I'll do that. No yeah. way. No way. I, so I, I I do that. Um, I've been doing that, so that's fun. Hmm. Um, Very good. Oh, I was going to say something else. Also, uh, last year I did, uh, for Halloween, I recommended a different uh, Stephen King short story every day Uh, throughout the month of October. It is October again this year. I have collected the links and brief descriptions of all those stories into a bigger article for the Geekiverse. The Geekiverse re-presents 31 Days of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. It has the links to all the full articles in there, a little bit about each story. Um so go check that out, uh, making its return on the Geekiverse. There you go. It was, it's yeah. a great series of articles that uh, recommended me a couple yes. couple good short stories right. that, I, that I listened to. Well, I'm Nate Lockhart. Uh, I've been Nate Lockhart for this whole podcast. And uh, you can keep checking out MemoryMachinePod.com for past episodes. You can go to the SoundCloud page under It's a Thing Media. You can find... The other Geekiverse podcasts there, which you'll probably have heard plugged on the break. We had a lot of fun recent episodes. There's one we did on Disney Channel Original Movies, echoing a podcast that uh, Girls Who Geek also did a show on on that topic as well. And give both a listen. They're they're both a lot of fun. And uh, I am frequently gobsmacked by the crazy, crazy plots of those movies. (laughs) Um... 
So there's uh, those things you can look forward to. I'm trying to think if there's anything else you have to plug. Well, I mean, there's to my Twitter. You can go to Twitter at Nate underscore Lockhart. Trey, you're at Trey Whittish. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, on Twitter at Trey Whittish, all one word, T-R-E-Y-W-Y-D-Y-S-H. Yep. On Instagram, if you want oh, to see, you, you know, uh, a picture of my dog or my niece or yeah. some book I'm reading once in a while, that is Trey dot Whittish, T-R-E-Y dot w-y-d-y-s-h there you go uh, that's me on instagram and then yeah, the other one's me on twitter there you go and you can follow me on instagram at nathaniel.lockhart that is mostly projects i'm working on or uh you know taking pictures of old theaters that i go to um but other than that i think that about wraps it up thanks very much for listening and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another spooky podcast. Yeah, so come back to that. Love you, bye. bye.